The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day. Yeah. All right, we're live. Billy Corbin, what are you doing? You tweeting? You texting? You can't fucking do that while we're on li- online. I can do that live. all the time. I realize it doesn't matter how much of my life I spend tweeting, and, and at this point, it's been a significant percent. And I've got I've got a cool like li- little following, but it, it, for what I dedicate and put into it, I don't know that the the ROI is quite there. Right. Especially when I can just sit back on my ass and my my phone just blows up when they go, "Dude, are you listening to Rogan? He's talking about cocaine cowboys again." It's like I don't have to tweet. I was like, just let Joe take care of it. For him. Like seriously, the feedback that I get and the love that I get from people, you know, your your audience, your listenership is just off the charts. Like the, my 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 my. Twitter metrics dwarf in comparison to your listeners just hitting me up like tw- my my family like are you listening to Rogan are you listening to Rogan I'm like right now I'm working but and they're like no no you got it I'm like don't you work yeah, and they're like well, no I'm listening to Rogan it we'll work. make a deal you keep making awesome fucking documentaries I'll keep talking about them they'll keep getting out there dude I like that deal <laughs> that's a that's a hell of an arrangement as a, one one day you got to do a live remote from Miami though this town dude I got to tell you just like you like Miami more than you like L A I like Miami more than hilarious. I like more than I like anything uh, honestly that's so weird why because because <laughs> you're smart like you're. <laughs> You're really rare for a guy from Miami. I've always said that if you want to starve to death, open up a bookstore in Miami. It's a <laughs> it's a great way to starve to death. It's, it's true. It's well, a open a bookstore anywhere town. and you'll starve to death. Actually, now maybe a Kindle a Kindle store, but like <laughs> I well, I I get it. this this town this town which has been incidentally nothing but good to me my whole life. Um, Los Angeles, I mean, like. Broken hearts fuel the power grid and tears come out of the faucets. Like, I land at LAX, I turn into Raymond fucking Chandler all of a sudden. I just, like, I get really sad here. I don't know what it is. It's the, it's the fucking homeless guy in Pretty Woman screaming on Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> like, that's this, like, that's this town to me. It, like, no. it just, it's, uh, it's sad to me. Miami is like, <laughs> I think Tony Montana said it best. You know, it's just a great big pussy waiting to be fucked. A great but, big pussy. Yeah, M- Miami is the city of the future and always will be. You know, there's just like endless opportunity there, but it never quite gets to that that level. The, the, the famous saying is that like uh, L.A. is where you go when you want to be somebody. New York is where you go when you are somebody. And Miami's where you go when you want to be somebody else. So and like that's the thesis of like all of our work in a way. That's like the motto of our company of Rack and Tour. That's that's like it's too long to put on a T-shirt, but it's like that's that's the message. That's the takeaway. I that's think. not too long to put on a T-shirt. It's that can be worked out. Yeah, a small font. Good spacing. Like we're designing it right yeah, now. That could that could be worked out. Pre-order, pre-order right now, folks. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I obviously like it here in a lot of ways. What I don't like here is the the amount of humans. There's there's just <laughs> your an overwhelming supply of human beings here to the point that I think that anytime you get too many people in one place, you devalue those people. It's like I think that's the case with everything. I mean, I think if you're a guy. You have a million fucking girlfriends. They're all waiting for you in a warehouse. You're not going to care if one of them dies. You know, you're just not. <laughs> you're just not. You're barely going to care. If, a, you, if you have an airplane hanger filled with tens and you just walk in, you go, you in the back with the yellow hair, come this way, please. 
You're, that's, you're, it doesn't mean anything. If you have one wife that you love dearly, it's going to mean a lot more if something happens to her. I think L.A. has too many fucking people. And I think the, when you get too many people, you, there's this sort of weird thing that, that happens where you stop caring about them. They don't mean anything to you. But is there's it quantity or is it quality? Well, there's too many. The quality is here. Because there are so There's many who each think that they're very important. Because we're all, yeah. we're all, to be fair, the center of our own universe. Mm -hmm. I mean, but like everybody, like everybody, I don't, I don't want to say, I, I realize there's no other way to say this other than how it's going to sound. Right. But like the self-worth meter is off the charts for, for way too many people. It is, but it's also a fake meter. Like people are like holding up a meter of what they're pretending their self-worth is. But in reality, what they really think about themselves, they're incredibly insecure, which is why they're here trying to validate themselves in the first place. This, this is a weird town in that everybody who comes here wants to be someone special. And usually they want to be someone special because they weren't special when they were children. So they get here. You seek out this, this ultimate thing, which is fame. And now, because of people like Kim Kardashian and reality shows... You don't even have to do anything You don't have to do anymore, anything. Yeah. You don't have to have a special That's talent. That's troubling thing to me. You it don't is. have to put in work anymore. Yeah. And I, that, that, like, manifested itself with this, like, Kanye Beck thing. It's like, Beck, I mean, you can't really ask for more gifted musician or songwriter. As far as, like, mm -hmm. artistry is concerned, you could say, you could be subjective about it. You could say you like him, you don't like him. But the guy's an artist. I mean, yeah. legitimately, he puts in the work. He plays, he writes everything. He plays every every fragging instrument on, yeah. his, on his album. So it's like the guy's putting in the work and why devalue somebody who's actually an accomplished right. artist and say like, well, his art isn't worth as much as somebody else's art. Or Kanye West has a real ego problem. <laughs> he needs psychedelics more than anyone I've ever seen in the public eye. I mean, he's such a insufferable douchebag and that's because his ego is completely out of control he wants people to pay attention to him he wants to be loved he wants to be great he wants to be great that's his big thing leave me alone let me be great you know you fucking rhyme shit you're dude surrounded but you, you know, I think, that's it no no offense to, his, to his, his handlers but like you're surrounded by awful people those are the people who are supposed to keep you in check and give it's you impossible. some perspective on your place in the universe which but is always smaller than you, you think you can't do that they don't that's not their job their job is to make money and the way they make money is to keep like rubbing his back and pushing him out there in the ring. I mean that that's it. Keep I, keep getting him to make more money. J Jewish people, we have our families to both like blow up our heads and also put us right back in our mm -hmm. place. I remember I I got into some trouble uh, a couple years ago. I was on a uh, a jury. I was a jury foreman in a criminal case in Miami Dade Circuit Court, and uh, it was an armed robbery case. And I tweeted because that's what I do. I didn't tweet about the case, but I did my usual shit of just kind of observations of the courthouse. I noticed that it was uh, it was named for this guy, Richard Gerstein, who was a state attorney who had uh, had rumored ties to Meyer Lansky, later represented Pee Wee Herman in his uh, indecent exposure case in Florida, you know, when he was in the, you know, yeah. jerking off in, in the adult theater. And um, just things about it. I could see from the, the window in the jury pool room, I was like, how, how you know, how appropriate that that the view from the jury room in the in the criminal courthouse is one of the greatest crimes perpetuated on the people of Miami Dade, which was the Marlins Park, the publicly financed you know sports welfare boondoggle of of Miami Marlins uh, sta uh, Stadium baseball park. And so, I like, I don't, I'm, I'm ignorant to that. We'll, 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 we'll get back to that. But I'm okay. like just tweeting 
stupid observational shit, right. and then my usual sort of aggregating article. So this comes up on appeal. The public defender, we convict him of a lesser-included offense. The public defender says, oh, the jury foreman was tweeting, like live-tweeting the trial, which is not what happened. Oh, I didn't delete anything. All my tweets are still there. So the Miami Herald, like, rips me. They have this completely talent-free uh, writer at the Herald. She actually slept her way to the middle, is what she did. She slept with her married editor and got a promotion, and it was a whole scandal. Really? Yeah. And and th- and now I, I call her America and Cuba's worst columnist. And she still has a job. It's it's unbelievable. And she like rips me for being a what was it like tweeting twit? That's what she called me, a tweeting twit. And my 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 parrot won't shit on the Herald. You know when I line its cage with it. So like the Herald's masthead is like Miami Herald. Uh, yesterday's news tomorrow. Corrections to follow. That's their shtick. So, like, my but my grandpa, old school, they still read the newspaper. You know, he likes the ink on his fingers, and so he reads this like vicious column about about me, about his grandson, and his takeaway is this. He's like, so this is a few years ago. So he says, so he says to me, he goes, "How many Twitter followers do you have?" <laughs> and I was like, about at the time it was like maybe t- maybe ten thousand. I was like, I don't know about ten thousand. He goes. Justin Bieber has 22 million. And that was it. I felt like shit. Like, he put me right back. He, I, I, I was reminded of my place in, in the universe with one, with that. With just, so, first of all, how the hell does my grandfather know? I don't even know that That's he knows what Twitter irrelevant. is. But. Your grandfather sounds like a dick. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. Like, who, he's, fucking he's a, grandpa. He's a wonderful a man. My, me, me, me abuelo, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. He is. <laughs> well, that's all you had to say? Yeah. <laughs> Justin no, no. Bieber has but more. But like, he didn't say to me, like, so he, I'm ashamed of you right. and what you did and this woman destroying you in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. He was like, he was pretty cool with that. He was just, he was just trying to understand this Twitter thing a little uh, bit better. That's all. Yeah. He's still not on it, though. That's funny, though. Well, yeah, I mean, that having someone in your life to keep you in check like that is important. Or having something. You know, I don't think he has anything to keep him in check, which is why he thinks it's funny to go on stage and interrupt people's performances or, or acceptance speeches. You know, but that, why do they even bother voting? Why don't they just like Kanye pick who wins everything? That, well, that would be uh, how about this? How about the Emmys are stupid? How about the Oscars are stupid? They're all stupid. Award shows for art are dumb. They really are because Absolutely. art is incredibly subjective. You know, this and this idea that you're going to have this one big moment where everybody dresses up like a penguin and you all get together and <laughs> pretend that this, this is our night to shine. Shut Tom Ford's got to make a living too, dude. All who's right. The, who's Tom, Tom Ford? Ford? He does like the tuxes, like Justin Timberlake. He does tuxes, is kind of like his shtick. He's oh, a fashion designer. Oh, a fashion yeah, designer. yeah. Oh, okay. But like. I, I, I'm not a big, we, everybody always, I often get introduced or like people like write up a bio or blurb on me and they'll be like, award-winning filmmaker. I'm like, I don't actually think I've won any awards. awards. I don't, <laughs> I guess we have along the way. Like I got a, I got a key to the city of Miami and Miami Beach, which was incredibly disappointing because when, you know, you're in Miami Beach and somebody gives you a key, right. you're kind of hoping it's going to be something else if you, if you hear what I'm screaming. But uh, the, the, it was not the kind of key that you hope to get when you go to Miami. You mean like a kilo? Uh, right, that's what, I that's what right. you're saying. Yes. Yeah. It's funnier when you explain it, I, I think it. so. Well, it didn't work unless <laughs> oh, you let- did. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a few listeners that got it. Maybe two that are that coked are like- <laughs> up right now. Yeah, keys, man. There's and only fucking keys. There's only two Give listeners. Me. There's only two listeners coked up right now. I don't think that's true. There's more than two. Yeah. <laughs> but they're the only ones that got that joke. <laughs> But what we were talking about before about what's wrong with this town, and this is probably the last time we should get into it because this is like such a, a, t- a tired subject, but 
the the idea that people who didn't get enough attention when they were young, so they developed this whole in their soul, they need to fill up with other people's attention. They come here and then they, they seek validation through auditioning, which is one of the most ridiculous processes ever. I mean, the idea that you're going to be in line with a bunch of other people hoping to get picked, and if you do get picked, you're like, yes, yes, it's me, I'm going to be the one, and then you're the one who's going to get out there, and then the camera's on you, and they put makeup on you, and they make you pretty, and the, the perfect lighting, and it's all it's, it's this weird thing. And if you're lucky, you can get through that with some sense of what you were trying to do in the first place, which is like trying to create something cool that people enjoy, and then some sense of humility where you kind of understand that that's in the greater spectrum of the universe, it's really not that significant. What it is is it gets a lot of attention because we're confused and media confuses people and the idea of the one, the alpha with the light on them and the, the one who has the microphone and the one who has the voice and that this it, it is somehow or another makes you special. But it doesn't. It's just entertainment. Well, there's, there's two things I have to say about the fir first of which uh, is that I'm going to put it out there. I don't talk about it that much, but I'm going to put it out there because I think step one in the program is admitting that you have a problem. So I was a child actor. Oh no! Uh, in this in this town. In this town. So and that's I, your problem with I, this town. I wish that there was. Yeah, but it was very oh. good to me. It was very good to me. I was very successful. And and before I retired at fifteen or whatever, or whatever it was, but like it. Uh, first of all, I wish there was a different term other than child actor, which which immediately evokes images of like liquor store robberies, drug overdoses, and child molestation. But yeah. like, but that's what I was. Um, the second thing I wanted. I want to say, which I probably shouldn't talk about, because you mentioned it when you're talking about the casting process and um, and how completely toxic that is uh, in terms of creating anything of substance. And it's not just it's this development process. We 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 option the rights to develop a dramatic series about cocaine cowboys about, I think, eight years ago now with um, Brookheimer Television, Michael Bay and Warner Horizons and. We have been developing the show, developing, development, developing. You know when you say a word uh -huh. so much or you look at it so often it loses its meaning and you kind of have yeah. to look like, what is it? This word means something? Development? So we're on a call one day. I'll never, this is already years ago. It was years into development and years ago already. That's how long we've been developing this. And I'm, I'm looking at, we're on a conference call. You can't get a word in edgewise really on a conference call. So I'm listening to this call and I'm looking at, at, the, at the calendar and it says, JBTV development call and I'm staring at the word and it loses its meaning so <laughs> I, I kind of you know the, the voices turn into you know peanuts you know adults wah, 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 and I open a new tab in my browser and I go to dictionary.com I probably should have gone to urbandictionary.com but I go to dictionary.com and I look up the word development and I realize looking at the definition that the development process in film and television and entertainment is the antithesis of the definition of the word development, which infers progress, evolution, and it's the exact opposite of that. It, it, if it doesn't stifle progress, it, it, it actually has a reverse effect. It's like de-evolution. It's like undevelopment or de-development. I don't, I don't know what the term is, but it's a total misnomer, you know, th this, this idea of developing, because like, we, we want to make a documentary. We get an idea or someone comes to us and, or we have access to a cool person or a great story, and we, I got two partners. It's me and two guys. One guy I've known, I've known so long, our parents used to bathe us together. 
I mean, <laughs> we were sophomores in high school. That was weird. But like, uh, no, we were nursery school. We were. I know the guy literally since nursery school. Our other partner, Alfred Spellman, I know him from television production in middle school. So we look at each other and we go, does this sound like a cool idea? Yeah. Let's do it. That's our development right. in the nonfiction world. This whole like scripted thing where like you bring in three writers and you pay them untold amounts of money and they're from Santa Monica with nannies and they're going to write for the Miami drug scene in the late 70s. You're like, what is going on here? How is this mm. progress? How are we developing anything here? And in terms of our warped values and media manipulating our priorities, nothing breaks my heart more than when I tweet something important that's going on in the world and it gets like two retweets or whatever and then you tweet something about Kim Kardashian or Justin Bieber or Kanye West or Bruce Jenner god forbid and it just it gets a, it gets 1200 retweets or some crazy Florida man story that gets 10,000 retweets and and it breaks my heart cuz I'm just like I'm like I'm contributing to the distraction here is what I feel like and and but I'll, I but I, it really frustrates me. It's like, but something about, you know, uh, 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 the lack of accountability in politics or the public sector or, you know, the, 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 the dramatic increase in, poli in police brutality and the prison population as the, the crime rate drops precipitously. All these things that we should kind of be concerned about as a people. And I just realized, I was like, maybe I, I need to take my own advice. And like the, the fact that we're all so insignificant and so small and this time is so fleeting, why not just have a good time while we're here? We're not actually going to change anything for the better. It's like that saying, what's it saying? It's like, uh, I want to have less corruption or more participation in it or something like, it's like, that's how, as I get older, I feel like, well, wh where, where, where am I getting here? Why not? You know, I, I, I'm not actually going to effectuate any positive change maybe a little maybe a little bit of awareness in my corner of the Twitterverse, but what, what which don't i just need to do something for myself or my family or for, and i can't do that there's like something in there's a moral compass that just won't let me kind of like compromise my values and in a weird way i hate that about myself just relax man seriously do you smoke weed no you should probably smoke weed. <laughs> That would help you a lot. That's the, that's the diagnosis. Yeah. Well, you guys have medical yeah. marijuana here. For, for fuck's sake, <laughs> for fuck's sake, dude, I fought my ass off for Amendment 2 in Florida. Uh -huh. We got nearly 58% of the vote, and it failed. Yeah, Rick Scott, 62, right? Rick Scott, the least popular governor in, like, the history of anything anywhere, okay, gets 47% of the vote in four more years to destroy the state of Florida. Like, but we but you have 50, too many old people. Yeah. Too many old people it's a in your state. Thing. Yeah. yeah, they their idea of what marijuana is yeah. is just completely fucked by propaganda. But now our elected officials, fortunately, are kind of realizing that, like, wait a second, if you look at the 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 district results for Amendment Two, they're going, well, shit, my constituents want this. So now you do have some local politicians who are trying to, and state politicians who are trying to introduce bills now that will. Uh, that will bring medical marijuana to the state of Florida because what they're trying to do is beat 2016 where, med where not only is it a, you know, is it a presidential election, so turnout. Turnout in Florida could be as much as, I don't know, 12%. Why don't people vote? Why don't people vote? Well, they feel discouraged. They, they don't think it works. You look at the system itself. You look at special interest groups and lobbyists and the, the amount of money that corporations donate towards campaigns. But they do that to mobilize, not just to impact how people are going to vote, but just to get people going out to vote. If you One thing's for sure, if you don't vote, your vote's not going to be counted. I can guarantee, I can guarantee that. Right. So the special interest money really goes towards mobilizing people who are already in a way like-minded. Like you said, like the elderly 
population and which is really what helped kill I think recreational marijuana here or the expansion of marijuana laws in California it was it was it, you, you weren't quite there yet people weren't I think getting out the not getting out the vote per se but but they weren't convincing the elderly population who by the way probably need marijuana even more than I do um, just in terms of their, you know, their med- their maladies, mm-hmm. uh, it probably d- would do more for them, and certainly in Florida, do more for them. But some of them are still on that, you know, that hippie drug thing. Yeah, know? that's what they think it is. Yeah. yeah, which is which doesn't make any sense. Not to mention, what could any governor, or any politician, or anybody in this country do in the single stroke of a pen that would create the kind of economy that that brings? How do you create jobs with you know that many jobs and that kind of revenue? In, that, in that marijuana, fell sw- that, marijuana that a marijuana mm. in- there's nothing else I could possibly think of that you could do where you could say like overnight we could just create a, an epic industry that not only hurts no one but helps millions of people and more importantly decriminalizes a class of people in this country that we have needlessly spent untold millions of dollars to deprive them of life liberty and, and, and property and you're right. I need to smoke. I just, you need to smoke just give a me like a fucking brownie. The amount of money that they're making in Colorado is so staggering. They have to give it back to the taxpayers. Have you read that? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, the refunds. Yeah, they're giving the refunds. Yeah. They're giving people money back. We have too much money for education now. We, I mean, we they they are literally <laughs> making untold millions of dollars in tax revenue that would be unavailable otherwise. And most likely the same amount of people are smoking weed, which just lets you know that this is just really an inefficient use of of public resources. It's inefficient use of a commodity, which is a natural commodity that's a part of life. I mean, marijuana is a goddamn plant that's been used for thousands of years. In Florida, we had a, a pill mill crisis. Oh, yeah. Of the likes that we have, I mean, a, well, a, I had an the epidemic folks of on death. That, that did that documentary, um, the, uh, the Oxycontin Express. Oh, yeah. Great. Amazing, had, amazing. I think, I think it was up to seven people a day were dying in the state of Florida. These are it's men, women, enough. and children. It's not enough. You should, Kill more. You guys should have opened up more <laughs> pill plants. In Too response. many people in Florida. Too many people. <laughs> uh, maybe in the north, I'd prefer the north. You know, they say in, in Florida, the further north you go, the further south you yeah, are. Because you forget that, like, Florida, I mean, this was like Jim Crow South, you right. know, Florida. South like, Florida is like, a, like a, a tropical country. Yeah, well, it's like the, the only way I can like, compare it to people who, who might get some perspective, it's like Atlanta in Georgia. Yes. You know, kind of South Florida is like, because we're still very much a red, we're like a red state. With a blue foreskin that everybody wishes they could just circumcise, like, right off the state. And, in fact, the city of South Miami, it's an interesting thing about Miami-Dade, nobody even knows this. Miami-Dade County, which has about, I think, 2.6 million people now, we're made up of, like, 34 different municipalities. So there's a total of, like, 35 different mayors in just Miami-Dade County. Really? Yeah, and the city of Miami is just one small city among the 34 in Miami-Dade County. And, in fact, Dade County, get this, it used to be called Dade County or Metro-Dade County. In 97... We rebranded, we voted to change the name of, of the town. Like, where else other than, like, Bombay and Mumbai, like, you think of a place that, like, changes the name. We rebranded it to Miami-Dade County to borrow, essentially, the most famous brand that we have, which is the most famous city in, in the area. And so one of these cities, these 34 municipalities, we have 34, 34 municipalities, and I think... To be fair, only th- I, there's still 30 of them who haven't had their mayor arrested yet in the last two years. So that's a, that's a pretty good ratio. But the city of South Miami, actually, they had like a resolution to uh, essentially secede, not secede from the union, but split Florida down the middle into two separate states, a North Florida or a Northern, and, and a, South, a South Florida. Two which is states. a great, great idea. 
For real? It's a great, it'll never happen because South Florida's revenue is what finances Tallahassee, which is the state capital, which is in, uh, in the panhandle in northern Florida. So that'll never happen because they, they, they live off the fat of our land and our tourism uh, trade. So that'll never happen. But it's a great idea when you look at the politics, when you look at, you know, the demographics and, 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 and how sort of the way that people, the thought process, we are very much two different Two different states. So South Florida is more democratic. It's more liberal. Yeah, that's the blue tip. But there's a yeah. lot of Cubans that are very Republican, right? A lot they of were. conservative. They, they, they were. were. That, they, ever since Kennedy in the Bay of Pigs, they 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 took a hard a hard right. They I mean, there there are Cubans who have not voted Democrat since Kennedy. Wow. Um, but you're seeing now a new generation, third and fourth generation Cubans who are now being actually born in Miami. Uh, you see this trend changing. Miami used to go to Miami and, and you say really anywhere in Florida, say, where are you from? And even if people were there for 60 years, they'd go, Cuba, Chicago, Philadelphia, New York. You know, no one was from right. Miami. That's yeah. changing now. You see a little bit of this 305 till I die, this kind of like, <laughs> you know, the spirit of like, uh, the spirit of like ownership of belonging, which I keep hoping is going to manifest itself in people driving better and using their turn signals and being nicer to each other. I keep trying to say, it's not Miami or your Emmy, it's our Emmy. This is a collective experience here, people. Let's, we're in this together, let's just be nicer, nicer to each other, but like, You're it's a not Miami working. fanboy. I am, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a homeboy, and I get homesick when I travel too, like, I'm, like I, I miss it, especially when I go, LA's different because it's not homogenized, but when I travel around to places where it like, I'm like, I'm nervous, there's too many white people here, like, I need some arroz con pollo, I need some cafe con leche, like, I get nervous when, when there's not, you know, when there's like a homogenized population, I don't why, like that. I like to that? mix it up. I don't know Miami because Miami, like you just, you, I mean, you could drive a stretch of blocks in Miami Beach and you go from the Argentinian neighborhood to the Venezuelan neighborhood to the Brazilian neighborhood. I should say this: there's a common misconception that Miami is a melting pot. We are not a melting pot. We are more akin to like uh, a TV dinner where sometimes the peas fall over into the mashed mm -hmm. potatoes because we self-segregate. We do that anywhere we go as people. You know, we find like-minded or, or Chinatown. Yeah, similar looking people and we right. and we stick to our own. So in Miami, you know, you have the Jewish neighborhood, you have a, uh, you know, a Haitian neighborhood, you have an African-American neighborhood, you have a Cuban neighborhood, a Cuban neighborhood, a Cuban neighborhood, a Cuban neighborhood. You have, um, then like I was saying in Miami Beach even, you have Venezuela. Brazil, Brazilian neighborhood. They don't, you know, even the South Americans, which the, the thing they hate the most is like being called Latin or Hispanic. They're very prideful and nationalistic people. They want to be associated with their nation. Their actual. You can't get into an argument with anybody in Miami until you see what flag is hanging from the rearview mirror. Because God forbid, dude, you should call an Argentinian a Venezuelan, a Venezuelan a Cuban, a Cuban uh, a Brazilian. They right, get furious, right. or any of them a Mexican. They all hate Mexicans for or wow. like for some reason. And yeah, and then why? And, why do they hate Mexicans? I don't know, but they and all of them. If you ask any of them, they'll tell you, "Oh my great bro, like like for truth, bro, like seriously, like my great great grandfather is from Spain." They're, they all claim they're European. None of them are Caribbean. They're all European. It's it's kind of fun, and and I like that that kind of incendiary mix of people, you know. And like 1980 was like, which is kind of the inspiration of Cooking Cowboys was like that year where like all of the chemicals just mixed together and shit just exploded. And that's you. you there's that tension in Miami constantly that that I think is just. It just makes it an exciting exciting place, particularly when anybody outside of Miami. They think there's only like one hotel, the Colony on Ocean Drive, because wherever you are in Miami, all you know is that like 15 blocks of Ocean Drive, you know, and and even when you watch 
Miami Dolphins games or like the Orange Bowl game, which is at Joe Robbie Stadium or now Sun Life Stadium in Miami Gardens, one of the most dangerous municipalities in Miami. One of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the world is Miami Gardens. That's where the stadium's located. They'll crossfade from the game to the blimp aerial of the stadium, and then they'll crossfade to Ocean Drive as if that's right outside. It's 18 miles away from the stadium. And, but that's what people associate with Miami. Most of Miami is third worldian. I mean, Miami-Dade County has, one, I think, only the second greatest disparity in income gap in the, of any major county in the country. We are, you know, what, what, uh, uh, T.D. Allman had a book uh, called um, City of the Future about Miami. You know, they say that the, like the Florida of today is the America of tomorrow. And if you want to know what shit is going to go down in America, what calamities are going to befall this country in like the next 20 years or so, you look at what's going on in Miami or Florida. That is the barometer of whether it's the drug trade, immigration, what we're dealing with, with, with now with the, you know, the, the, the browning of America, if you will, the Hispanicizing of America and the pushback. We've been through all of that shit. Medicare fraud, uh, you name it. We have experienced it already in in, in Miami or, or, in, or in the greater Florida area. And, and we know what's coming, basically. You sure? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got everything but earthquakes and mudslides. How did you get involved with this documentary, Cocaine Cowboys? What was the, what was the inspiration to make this? Just knowing the history of how crazy Miami was and what, what led to this you know, just massive surge of drugs into that part of the country? What was our childhood in a weird way? I mean, we grew up in, in Miami. I was born in a place called Fort Myers, Florida, on the uh, on the West Coast. So you lived out here when Only you were for a, a couple kid. of years, you know, for, for, for like five pilot seasons or whatever the hell you do. Yeah, um, did your parents bring you out here to do my that? Mom, I, asked my, yeah, I asked them to. Whoa. Yeah, I asked them to. Wow, so it wasn't even that you had stage parents. It was all you. Oh, dude, every year my parents would say to me, Enough already, whenever Billy. you're done. Yeah, they would say, whenever Enough, you're Billy. done. That's just like that. That's dead ringer for, for oddly for my dad. Uh, he's transitioning now. That was weird. That's, you know, but like, um, transitioning. You, you can say that a few years ago. No one would know what the fuck you're talking about. But you say he's transitioning now. It's like, is there this like overwhelming influx of transgender people in our culture? Is that what's going on? Uh, or, or we're just more aware of it. I guess. And, Either and, or. And it's kind of okay. I mean, like gay people got married in Alabama this mm -hmm. week. Like, yeah. it's a new world, man. Like, it's, it's the internet. It's it's kind of it's it, yeah. it's kind of fantastic. Like I'm like when when I was I was traveling, we were on set uh, of this pilot uh, in 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 Puerto Rico, and while I was on the plane, um, there was no internet on on, on this flight because we're coming from Puerto Rico for whatever reason. And so as soon as I landed, uh, Obama had announced the new Cuba policy, and I landed in Miami while this was going on in the air, and. Um, no one really knew exactly how Miami was going to react. The truth is a lot of the hardline, older conservative Cubans have died off. The demographic is changing. There, there are Cuban kids growing up now who don't want to never get to see Cuba before they die, like a lot of their grandparents never got to, and great-grandparents never got to go back. So the sentiment was very different from whatever, like from Circa Elian Gonzalez. That was like the last gasp of, you know, right-wing exile uh, 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 politics was really the Elian Gonzalez uh, fiasco. And so this this was a little bit calmer, but like I landed, I was like, I just landed in a whole new world. Like it was an incredible, and, and whether you agree with policies or not, it's kind of cool to see when you're hyper aware that like history is happening in your lifetime and, and before your eyes. And that's what Miami was like in the 1980s. And growing up, we were even aware of it. What I was most aware of it as a kid was the money. We worked. We were. We lived in this like working class Jewish neighborhood in North Miami Beach, and everybody was doing good. 
they weren't in the drug business per se, but this is the best, is the most successful case study in history for Ronald Reagan's trickle-down economics theory because there was so much cash in Miami and it trickled down to everyone. Mm. Whatever business you were in, you were making more cash. You because were of the drug trade. Because of the drug trade. There was so much wow. cash. Tourism, by 1980, tourism was our, and real estate, they were like our top businesses. Tourism was bringing in about $5.2 billion a year in Miami. Drugs, they were estimating, was generating $7 billion a year. So it was an even bigger business than tourism in, right. in, in, in the early 1980s. So you just had, it was just everywhere. Like, in our neighborhood, people added, like, made additions to their houses. They had, like, a Porsche or a nicer car. And these are people who were jewelers or in the grocery business or car mm -hmm. dealers or just working people. But suddenly everybody was a, little, was a little flush. And they weren't upgrading in a major way. They were just getting themselves some toys that they could get with the fruits of, of, of this newfound, uh, 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 of this, the fruits of their labor and this newfound uh, uh, revenue Influx generation. Of cash. Yeah, it was just, yeah. and you've heard the stats about, you know, from the movie about, you know, the, the, uh, the branch of the Federal Reserve in, in Miami had a cash surplus of more money than all the branches combined in the country. There was just more cash in Miami. Nobody had any place to put it. What you saw in Scarface, when banks were charging a VIG to deposit cash, that was true. They had no place to put cash. There was just too much cash. And it's true that if you took a $20 bill or den denomination of 20 or above cash in Miami and tested it, there were traces of cocaine on almost every single bill uh, in Miami. It was, so it was literally drug money. That's amazing. It's an amazing time, and your documentary really captures it so brilliantly. It's just that you, with the when, <clears throat> when you highlighted that that one graduating class of the police academy, that every single guy either went to jail or was murdered. Every single one. I mean, that that's an amazing moment in human history where you just get to see. I mean, essentially, it's a version of what's going on in Mexico right now. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and it's actually a version, interestingly, of what's going on in the United States in terms of hiring practices and better screening people in law enforcement and people in the public sector in general. Because what happened there is that you didn't have good people who became cops and then the power went to their head and they became corrupt or anything like that. You had, you had gangsters, straight up thugs, who decided, well, where better to apply my trade than... Be hiding behind a badge. That's what happened. So these weren't like this was these were these were bad guys who who it became we had a um what happened was there was a federal judge, there was a consent decree. Uh, a federal judge, it was a civil rights action, a federal judge looked at the demographics, the changing demographics of Miami, and said there's basically a hundred percent of the Miami police department was white. And they said, You need a police force that better represents the community that they're policing. And so it was a federal judge who just waved, you know, waved his, his, his magic pen and said, hire more black officers, hire far, far more Hispanic officers so you have a, a police force that, that reflects the community. And what happened, I hate to say it, but it's true, they kept reducing the standards for hiring. Mm. And that's what happened, is that they wound up with guys who were like, wait, I'm on the streets. I'm a straight up gangster, but the Miami police are hiring. <laughs> like that's what happened. So re really it, the system worked in a way in that they weeded out, you know, the, the, the worst of them. And that's, I, I think it's a little bit opposite. I think by and large, you have a lot of good cops now, but the problem is, is that they're not screening. They're not sufficiently screening in the hiring 
process to say. Still? Oh, I think so all over the country. I think you've got guys who are sort of naturally aggressive. You have a steroid epidemic in in the police departments that are that the unions have have completely precluded uh, municipalities from being able to test officers. Um, yeah, I think you have, again, an epidemic that, that affects a certain minority or percentage of, of officers and departments, but it's still an issue that you don't want guys like that with, a, you know, with the ability to, to, to deprive people of life, liberty, and property. Yeah, the steroid thing is absolutely legit. I got pulled over by a dude who looked like Ronnie Coleman, who, by the way, was a police officer. <laughs> Ronnie Coleman, who was Mr. Olympia, was a police officer. Wow. I don't know, he might I, still I be. That. I don't know if he still is, but, yeah, I mean, he was a long-time police officer, but this guy that pulled me over, was it was ridiculous. And uh, we, we had a nice little chat, you know, he's a nice guy. <laughs> he's a fan? But, yeah, he was a good guy. But, I mean, this dude was juiced. He was, I mean, 5'9", 270, Jesus. somewhere around then, which oh. doesn't happen in nature unless you're a fucking gorilla. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't happen. Like, I don't, you, you would have to, to get that big naturally, you'd have to, you couldn't have a job. You would have to be eating 30,000 calories a day. Out of the gym, I guess. And you notice. would have to be lifting weights literally all day. I mean, and you could probably maintain that amount of mass for a couple of years, and then everything would break. I mean, it's just, it doesn't happen in nature. And I looked at this dude, I'm like, you are going to fucking, you're going to enforce laws? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, glass house. <laughs> what kind of Meet rocks? gorilla. Well, you, you better not bust people for drugs, motherfucker, because you're on a ton of them, you know? Wow. I mean, that the steroids, you know, call them drugs or hormones or whatever you want to call them. I mean, they, the idea, and I've talked to guys in martial arts. Let's say, uh, you know, I have to be prepared because the people that I'm running into out on the street, you know, I'm running into like really bad guys and I, I want to be enhanced. Like, okay. What is I got I, it. I'm not that familiar with it, but like the research I understand, it fucks with your mind. Like oh, your temper, most your anger, your obviously. Most definitely. Your well, I mean, there's levels, of course, like everything else. Like, you could smoke a little pot and be fine carrying a conversation, or you can get so stoned you, you don't remember who you are. I mean, you could really get fucked up. You can get so stoned you look at a phone and you're like, what is this? You know, you, you, you get pretty fucked up, right? But Or you could take a little puff and just kick back and watch Don't, don't talk about Coco like that. Have, <laughs> Coco knows what's up. What is this? He, he can tolerate more than any living human being. <laughs> Joey Diaz can eat. He eats it mostly. You know, he'll yeah. have those pot edibles, but he'll he'll go so deep that you can't even believe he's still alive. He just goes deep. But my point being is that I, I assume that some of these guys, you could take a small amount of steroids, and probably it would help you recover. And you know, but the problem with those guys is they can never get off of it. Like Joey Diaz has a friend that's been on steroids since 1987. A Rod. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We were, we were talking a different about guy. Right. It's a different guy. He's a, his friend from Jersey that's a bodybuilder mm. that has never gotten off steroids. He's literally been on steroids since 1987. And he's Joey's age. You know, he's like 51. He's fine. He's healthy. Really? He's fucking big as a house. He never stopped lifting. <laughs> he never stopped doing steroids. But, I mean, yeah, but he's a maniac. I think you could probably take a little bit and it would probably help you recover and you'd be all right. But most definitely, if you take a lot, like this cop that pulled me over, he had to be on all kinds of shit. That's going to fuck with your temper. I mean, you essentially become a different thing. We, we were kind of discussing this yesterday because there's an epidemic of steroids in the UFC. I mean, a true epidemic. And not just the UFC, but MMA in general. There's been some high-level guys that have tested positive in other organizations. 
and uh, even guys that swore they never took anything and would mock other people who took performance-enhancing drugs, and they got popped. Um, so there's there's a real issue that we're, we're all, as a, the mixed martial arts community, sort of coming to grips with now. But as a police officer, I think being calm and having a sense of, of peacefulness, of being able to diffuse situations, like... That was my thing about the Trayvon Martin thing. Um, you know, when everybody was talking about George Zimmerman and the people that were supporting Zimmerman, they were like, you know, hey, George Zimmerman got attacked and George Zimmerman. I'm like, okay, here's the problem with that. George Zimmerman was a fucking moron, first of all, first and foremost. He wanted to be a cop. They wouldn't let him be a cop, which is fucking bad, which means you got to be a real moron, <laughs> you know, because I've met some morons that are cops, you know. Most cops I meet are great folks. But we all know a few idiots that became cops. This guy was too fucking stupid to be one of those idiots. You know, they were like, you're too dumb. You can't be a cop. So they give him this job as this community patrol guy, right? And second of all, he let this kid, this young kid, was kicking his fucking ass. This young kid got on top of him, was beating his head off the curb. Like, okay, well, how did that happen? Do you not know how to fight at all? If you don't know how to fight at all, how the fuck are you a cop? Here's the rub that no matter which version of the events you choose to believe, Trayvon stood his ground first, is actually what happened. So this stand your ground situation becomes like, who wins? It becomes, uh -huh. this, it becomes a stare down of this face off. It's, right. it's, it's a shootout, you know? And, and it's like, who wins? Because what happened was he was, be he was being followed by some creepy dude with a gun. Mm -hmm. He was a kid coming back from 7-Eleven okay, with Arizona Ice Team Skittles walking back to his dad's house. But the creepy guy with the gun was a security guard. No, right? he was a neighborhood watcher. Like but an, doesn't he have like an outfit No, on? hell no. no he was a voluntary. He had a, he had a poncho on or whatever he had. It was raining. And that's why Trayvon had a hoodie on. It was raining. So he doesn't have anything that identifies no, him no, as no a badge, security no officer? He was on the phone with 911 and they're telling him, stay in your car, sir. Stay in your car. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, well, and he gets out of the car, and he's, he's stuck. And this kid was on the phone with the Trayvon mm -hmm. was on the phone with this girl, and he's like, there's some dude following me. Right. He's in his car. He's getting out of his car. He's like, and she was worried for him. She's like, as it turns out, he was a creepy dude with a gun who was stalking this kid who was walking back to his dad's house with an iced tea and, and Skittles. For I actually out wasn't loud. aware that he didn't have an outfit, which is no, more no, no. ridiculous. He's like a volunteer neighborhood watchman guy. Right. Nobody elected him or assigned him. He took it upon himself because there were some robberies in the neighborhood. And he went and stalked. And he got jumped because this kid was scared. So there's no organization whatsoever? Like, well, there's probably a community organization, but I don't know that there's any formal... I don't think there, there was any, He wasn't a member of any formal organization that I'm aware of. And I, I was tweeting about this, and this was to me was just objective... These were just objective facts to me. And what came into play was one of the most disturbing things. I mean... Okay, I'm going right, to tell this story. It's going to piss it. off a lot of people. Tell it, all right, Billy so, Corbin. So, Get down. So we have a, a fan page. We did this documentary for ESPN called The U um, about the University of Miami football right. program. We just did a sequel uh, late last year. And so we had this fan page that we put on Facebook, which has about 185,000 or so fans. And, and it's one of the most like kind of largest and most interactive pages for Hurricanes football fans. So every once in a while, I kind of troll the page. You do? I troll my own page. Basically. Why do you do that? I, as is like a sociological experiment, I don't know. Like, we just like we'll just put like like Warren Sapp got got busted, you with know, a for hooker, prostitute. Right? Yeah, he, uh, 
couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. It's the stupidest fucking law ever. The but stupidest, stupidest law. And to me, it, it's just an example of sort of these arcane, patriarchal, like, yeah. women are let... Women can't decide what to do with their bodies. We decide what they can do with their bodies and, and what contractual arrangements yeah. consenting adults <laughs> can, enter, can enter into. But porn's legal, which it should be. But yeah. then... Yeah. So if, there, if there's a camera in the room, yeah. that changes the entire dynamic of well, this there thing? was a girl that was hanging around the comedy store way back in the day that actually said that to one of my friends she was a, a porn star <clears throat> and she said you know he he uh, somehow or another they got into this conversation and she said you can fuck me as long as you have a camera in the room private shoot we do a private yeah. shoot and he was like what <laughs> he was like hold on he was like trying to figure it out I had so, a line for every time a woman told me that <laughs> she had a fee you know she goes you pay my fee you put a camera in the room you can fuck me and he's like says so that prostitution she goes not legally and like okay and then we thought about it We're like yeah i guess that isn't prostitution dude the That's resources porn. the resources that po police departments spend in these stings on prostitution to create yeah. crime that mm -hmm. otherwise wouldn't exist by they putting make cops dress up like hookers, hookers. yeah, yeah. which by the way which first of all is dangerous for them Very. all right and second of all they're just creating crime that doesn't that, that wouldn't otherwise exist unless this cop dressed as a hooker well, was you know, standing on the corner they've actually passed laws in certain states that make it legal for cops to have sex with yes. prostitutes as part of the sting as part of the sting which that seems that seems fair it's hilarious that seems that yeah, seems right god Damned hilarious. Why would anybody think that there's, you know, that there's Listen, two legal systems here in this I country? I want to make sure that none of these whores are out there sucking dicks, so I'm going to go get my dick sucked just to ensure she knows I'm legit. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> by the way, uh, a, a contract is offer acceptance and consideration. I don't mm -hmm. know that you actually have to deliver on it in order to say the contract, you know, this is an illegal contract that you've entered into, you're under arrest. I can't imagine that that's necessary to go into court and say, it's like, no, no, your honor, she's really a hooker. I paid her and we had sex. Like, is that really, is that really necessary? And how is that legal? Well, my friend got busted in a sting operation in New York and he was flirting with these girls and uh, one of them said uh, something like, you want to party or something like that? And uh, he's like, party? Like, what does that mean? Like, what do you, you want? I mean, like, sex? And she goes, yeah. And he goes, um, is it going to cost me anything? She goes, how much do you want to pay me? He goes, $10,000. Like, he's just joking around. And they give the takedown order. And they, and the they fucking arrested crazy. him. Like that. Crazy. I mean, he was a drunk guy coming out of a bar, flirting with some girls that he didn't know were cops, and they were manipulating the language in order to get him to say that. Like, he was just being a silly goose. He's just being a silly guy trying to make he's a comic so he's just trying to make these girls laugh like $10,000 like saying $10,000 who the fuck is going to pay a streetwalker $10,000 <laughs> <laughs> who even comes up with that on their first offer I mean for $10,000 <laughs> you can you know, was, fuck I mean, a, a famous fake, porn star yeah. for $10,000 Yeah I mean it's if mind it had been like, numbing if it had been a counteroffer, it would have been yeah. more reasonable for ten thousand dollars. If he said, you know, five hundred, and she said a million, I, and he's like, oh, when you consider, hold on. When you consider these two, <laughs> these two women officers, you consider their backup, you consider mm -hmm. the surveillance, you consider then mm -hmm. when you have to process a John. Well, he was in, in jail for twenty four hours. You have to, pro and the, the 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 manpower involved in processing. Yeah. Uh, okay. What other crime was going on that night? A like lot. victim, yeah, victimful, sure. not victimless, but victimful, yeah, victimful victim crime was occurring. Oh my yeah. god! Oh, I totally, I, I, I totally dodged the uh, the trolling my own page bullet. Oh, yeah. Um, I was, should I tell that yeah, story? Yeah, please do. Okay. We'll keep going with this. this. Is a, okay, I never told this story 
uh, uh, to anyone publicly the web before. page is this that you're okay, talking it's facebook.com forward slash the you movie okay so every once in a while when I say troll the page I mean we're kind of like the New York Post of the U of like UM football fan pages we're like the tabloid you know we don't just post the press releases that come out of the athletic department we'll post whatever that's kind of like peripherally uh, involved in Miami football or pop culture surrounding Miami football you know Snoop throws up the U in a music video shit like that you know mm. so on the day of the Zimmerman verdict, there was a picture that had been on the internet for some time from like Trayvon Martin's 11th birthday or something like that, where his parents or whomever got him a birthday cake with the U logo. He was apparently a Hurricanes fan. Uh, you know, he's a South Florida kid. And so it was him smiling 11-year-old kid and his univer you know, UM happy birthday cake. Great. So I was just like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to say a word. I'm going to post this picture to the Facebook page. And I can't tell you how like all social media hell broke loose in that community. And I would venture to say that you could write papers on the state of America's race relations based solely on the comments from that, from that image. It was one of the most disturbing just exchanges about... America and race and crime mm. that I have just ever seen in my life. It was so disturbing. And I just left it there and let them, you know, it was kind of like a roar shark and people were writing like private messages like I'm on un I'm unfriending or unliking this page. Um, why don't you post a picture? Of, uh, oh, oh, first of all, that's not what he looked like when... You know, uh, when, when he was killed and they post like one of those fake pictures of like some rapper that like people claimed was Trayvon and like like things that were debunked, you know, <laughs> via scopes and otherwise like, you know, months or years earlier. And just like the craziness that ensued and the mo and I'm like, hey, listen, you find a picture of uh, George Zimmerman in a U sweater or whatever. I'll post that, too. I mean, like, what do you want? This is. It was just because I posted pictures of Barack Obama throwing up the U, and then Mitt Romney was campaigning, and he threw up the U. Didn't you like? We'll How just, do you throw up the U? Do you go like this? Yeah, you just put. Yeah, well, it's it's more like yeah, it's it's like okay. this. Okay. Yeah. Usually, I sort of put a break in it because there's like air <laughs> right. in between. But I like, just yeah, but like, yeah, that's that's how you that's how you, you so, throw up the U. But um, essentially, but let me get to the point here. Yeah. Essentially, it was white people who were being racist against Trayvon Martin and were upset that you were posting this image of him with this U cake. No one was objectively looking at the facts of the situation they saw a black kid in a hoodie mm -hmm. and right away it was thug who got what was coming to him right and it didn't matter that he was a human being it didn't matter that he was a, he had smoked pot before it's like I can't believe he was that. a teenage kid i'm outraged at that. he was a teenage Pot's kid illegal in florida the kid never got into trouble for anything before in his life he he got he got he got in a little bit of trouble in school, which teenage kids do, he's from a broken home, and his mom sent him to spend, she said, my, my son needs to spend time with his father, I'm gonna send him up to spend, this was, these were good people, this was a good family, none of it mattered, it just mattered that he was black, and mm. I, I, and, and there was people who just literally, I'm not su suggesting that was everybody, but there were people who just could not get beyond that, mm -hmm. which was just, it, it, it led me to like this whole, <laughs> this whole, you know, the, I don't know if you remember the, the closing, uh, the closing argument in a time to kill Matthew McConaughey. It's like, do you he, really think I watched that fucking? No, movie? I, I seriously doubt that. But it's like, it's <laughs> it's this whole monologue where he gives you this fact pattern mm -hmm. about this this young girl being kidnapped and raped and abused and beaten within an inch of her life, and then he says, now imagine she's white. 
Meaning, like, uh, just take the same right. set of facts and yeah. put your kid there. Mm -hmm. You know, the only reason Zimmerman was following him in the first place, or switch and the races, he was suspicious, switch or the, the races, or switch the races. Yeah, have, Absolutely. have Zimmerman be a black guy with a, 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 a cop complex. Right. You know. Well, my, my yeah. point was initially when we started talking about this is that he's so socially unskilled that another guy who maybe was a good cop or another guy who was good with people would have seen this young kid walking and said, how you doing, brother? Everything good tonight? And like, yeah, man, what's up? You know, what are you doing? Just right. getting some Skittles. All right. Well, take care, man. It's you want to be out. dirty fucking Harry. Yeah. Get, yeah. Go get dry. All right, you too, man. And then we're yeah. good. You know, the, the I mean, how many, how many of those exchanges between two human beings could vary radically depending on the social skills of the person that's quote unquote in a position of power. And that's an issue with what we were talking about earlier with steroids, yeah. distorting people's aggression, distorting people's perception of, of, of danger or of their, yeah. their power over a situation or what's, what's just and what's yeah. ethical. Law enforcement officers are allegedly trained to de-escalate. They and, should and be. And too, often, most, most too often. often we're seeing these stories, yeah. thanks to the internet, of situations where calling the police turns an otherwise benign situation mm -hmm. potentially deadly. And that's a frightening thought. They, because even if these are isolated incidents, the proliferation of them and our exposure to them now, uh, thanks to the internet, is creating an environment where kids are actually feeling like, maybe I shouldn't call the police. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not what I should do. And you shouldn't ever feel that way you know right, you you, right. Sh you shouldn't have that feeling but i i, I started to lose a lot of like <laughs> when i say friends i mean you know social media friends friends in quotes uh friends and followers on twitter and i finally just like after the verdict i was like listen it's all good if you unfollow me for my trayvon zimmerman tweets if zimmerman had unfollowed trayvon we wouldn't even be fucking talking about oh, this damn he dropped the bomb on him yeah he, look he was a dummy He's a dummy who can't fight, who wanted to be a, a tough guy. And I mean, Florida. This fucking Florida. kid getting on top of him and beating his fucking ass, and then he shoots him. You know, I just wish someone had taught Trayvon a little better, and he could have put that fucker to sleep before he ever got the gun out. You know, it, you, you just can't have a person that's so socially unskilled, which has obviously been proven now. Oh, yeah. Like, how his, many his goddamn... records, yeah, subsequent. Jesus right, yeah. fucking Christ. Yeah. He pulled a, a, a gun out on someone in some sort of a car situation. Yeah. He threw a wine bottle yeah. at he his girlfriend. He drives like a maniac, apparently. He's a, he's a <laughs> cunt. He's a cunt of a human being. And he's going to kill somebody someday, Joe. Well, he's probably in jail for a long time now, right? No, no, no. no Isn't no. he? No. No, he got picked up on that domestic uh, abuse uh, rap with Did his ex-girlfriend. Yeah, he threw a wine bottle at her. She won't cooperate anymore. She's not uh, pressing. He's out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's out now. Well, you know what? I'm not Florida a big fan did. of vigilante justice unless it's a guy like that. And then I'm like, you know, that's a dangerous time That was Joe that said bomb. that, by the way. I that did wasn't say me. It. I just want to establish that. I am not a fan of vigilante clear. justice, but when hey. cunts get free, sometimes <laughs> a retweet is not an endorsement. People <laughs> have to fire up torches and fucking find where that cunt's sleeping. It's just, he's a bad person. He's a bad person that's already done bad things. And, you know, I mean... And he's probably going to continue to do not good maybe. things. Maybe. I mean, and also he's he's become a hero of the Ted Nugent crowd. You know, the, the people that are standing up for the Second Amendment. And he's, you know, what he did was he shot an, un, uh, you know, uh, 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 unlawful thug or... 
That's fucking retarded, man. And I'm a person who supports you, the right to bear arms. You have to remember, the kid did not commit yeah. any crimes. Even jumping. Right. He was standing his ground. When exactly. He, this guy was stalking him with a gun. There's no set of facts. Right. Even the way Zimmerman tells it, there's no set of facts that, that, that or set of uh, a, a version of the story that changes right. those facts. He was stalking a kid who was armed with an Arizona iced tea and Skittles, yeah. walking back to his dad's house. Mm-hmm. And he killed him. You know, he might have been on pot. So On uh, the pot. He was on the pot. I think the Michael Brown situation is far more confusing because I wish I knew what really happened. I wish I knew everybody putting their arms up in the air and doing this hands up, don't shoot shit. I really wish that was proven, that that actually did happen. Maybe perhaps a video. The, the way more disturbing story to me was the 12-year-old who was shot with a toy gun. At a park. The cops just Playing pull in a park. Up. Yeah, the cops just pull up. Within two seconds, unload on him, all on video. Yeah. All on video. No confusion whatsoever. There's another situation where the lack of empathy to me in, in, in the Twitterverse is just like staggering. Because it's like, what was this kid doing with a toy gun? I'm like... I grew up at the park playing Jesus with Christ. cops and robbers and war and yeah, all. what do you on. I mean what that what are you talking about? Oh kids have a Of course, he was in the park you can't playing even address, with a toy you can't, gun. You can't even address it's that. It's crazy. Those are fools and they're they're looking for some reason where this kid was culpable. You know, but they didn't I even think, engage the kid. Yeah. They they nope, they, they drove seconds. up right on top of him. On video, jumped out of the car and opened fire. See, what's more disturbing mm -hmm. to me is is the fact that that you have a trend where you have a version of events perpetuated by the police, which is usually always the first story you ever read is a press release or the statement from the police. Mm -hmm. So it's never innocent until proven guilty. It's like we're charging this guy or we arrested this guy. I've for had this, this friends that were arrested for resisting arrest that didn't do a goddamn thing. You know what they thing. call that? That's called contempt of cop because there's never a basis to arrest them in the first place. So if you're being arrested for resisting arrest, what was the what was the original charge that right. you were being arrested for? How can you just n the vast majority of those cases are dismissed? And guess what? Uh, uh, Bratton, the police commissioner in NYPD, wants to escalate. Has gone to the legislature to uh, to elevate contempt. Uh, I was saying contempt of cop. That's what they call that contempt of cop. He wants to uh, uh, escalate or elevate the charge of resisting arrest from a misdemeanor to a felony. Now, again, most of those charges will wind up being dropped, as they usually do, because they're completely bogus. It's mm -hmm. contempt of cop. It's a situation where it's like, he didn't listen to me. Right. Which is, again, the, what we were talking about before, the, version, the difference between de-escalation. You can beat the rap, you can't beat the ride. Mm -hmm. your, your boy was in jail for 24 friggin' hours. Might have had to hire an attorney, might have had... Uh, some people get their car impounded, depending on what town... In the prostitution sting, uh, stings, those are major revenue generators. Mm -hmm. Major revenue generators for the criminal justice system. All the way from law enforcement to tow yards to uh, asset forfeiture to... Asset uh, forfeiture, which is amazing, please. what people don't even know about. Legal they theft. They take your car. You could have a very nice car. Like say you have a fifty thousand dollar car. That's the states now. They steal your fucking We're, car. It's the police departments. It's a local. They get the. They take yep. the and they get to keep it. It's not like they, they turn it over to anybody. If they want something, they could literally go out and take it. You don't even have to be convicted of a crime, just charged or accused. Right. And you might never see. They could take cash from you. Yes. Well, why, why do you have that cash, sir? Right. Were you doing something illegal with that cash? Right. I think you might have been, so we're going to lock You're that cash You're guilty until up. proven innocent. And so. then we're going to yeah. use that cash to have fucking parties. 
You know, I mean, yeah. they, they use those those the, the, the funds that they steal. They to use have, it to, to have buy parties. iPads and buy cars and 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 boats. Well, and the parties. DEA yeah. ran a similar scam in Los Angeles for a long time with arresting people that were running medical marijuana dispensaries. <laughs> they were there's video of this where these fucking kids are college kids. They're they're young kids. They're not doing anything wrong. They're working in a place where the state law says it's a legal business. They break in guns, strapped, bulletproof vests, ATF fucking outfits they put guns to people's head held this kid on the ground stepped on his fucking neck I mean there's videos of all this zip tie them the whole deal then they take all their They're cash. Selling legal weed they take yes they take all their cash all of it take all their marijuana all of it and they say we are going to process your case and then they do nothing they do nothing they never prosecute them that's what we call armed they robbery well, that's what we used it to is. call. Yeah, it is. On, but they take robbery. that money, and then because these guys don't want to go after that money, try to get it back, because then the DEA comes at them even harder. Right. They, and they, they have lose to pay that money to yes. fight to get that money well, back. Probably it becomes, yeah. as much in legal fees as right. was stolen in the first place. Right. It becomes so it'll a bean each other out. Operate. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's not like you could sue the DEA to get your legal fees paid. <laughs> They're not going to pay it. It's the same problem with the and and they also don't care even if they have to pay legal fees. Individual officers mm -hmm. are never held liable. It's not their money. It's all our money right. anyway right. that gets paid when there are wrongful death suits or there's brutality suits exactly. or it's, they don't care. They're never punished. The unions completely insulate and, and protect them. And it's not their money. At worst case scenario, they get to retire early with a full pension. Yeah, it has to be an unbelievably offensive violation of the law for the cops to be prosecuted prosecuted I mean it has to be like really outrageous where the the state steps in and says we got to do something here or we're gonna face a riot you know like the riots they have in Ferguson like the riots they're having all, all throughout the country about Eric Gardner you know I mean I don't think anybody I, I really believe this and this is from a lifelong of experience with police officers I don't think anybody's qualified for that job for a long period of time. I think being a cop is something that you can only you. do for a very short amount of time, yeah. just like being a soldier. You know that one soldier that went fucking crazy in Iraq and wound up gunning down all those innocent, innocent people? people yeah. And, you know, they pulled this guy aside and like, well, this guy had been flagged for PTSD many times. And he, he was saying himself, like, I got to get out of here. And they sent him back over there again. And he just went fucking crazy. I think that the mind can only withstand so much stress. Yeah. And being a cop is a fucking insanely yeah. stressful job. And they see horrible things. Which is horrible why I don't, I'm not a big fan of these blanket statements. Like, you know, I have friends that are like, fuck the police. and fuck. Yeah. I'm like, no, stop saying that, man. Because if some shit goes down, you're going to want to call the fucking police. It's not fuck the police. Just like when a black person robs somebody, it's not fuck black, black people. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. It's not, man. Yeah. It's just, These are rash generalizations. Yeah. <laughs> and they're based on this premise that any Anybody could actually do that job correctly. But, but herein lies which I the think problem. Is wrong. Herein lies the problem. The public sector, as far as I'm concerned, should be held to a higher standard of accountability, not a lower or no accountability. I agree with you. 100%. And if you are going to have the power and the authority to deprive people of life, liberty, and property, you need to be held to a higher standard. And the lack of accountability that police officers see happen all over the country feeds this con this this mental idea that you might you might very well be right. That might be a mental deficiency. It might be a, a, a form of PTSD. That you might actually believe that you're above the law, that they don't, yes. the laws don't apply to you, because as you said, only in the most extreme and extraordinary cases are police officers ever ever prosecuted. Uh, and I don't think there needs to be a, or there should be uh, a 
you know, any kind of referendum or any kind of like, uh, 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 I don't know, like an idea that there's a certain number of police officers that need to be. Pro- of course not. When someone commits a crime, I don't care if they're black, white, or blue. Okay, you know, you need there doesn't need to be a quota. There just needs to be justice equally Mm. applied. And that's the problem. You know, Miami in the 1980s, people, I mean, you think if I was here for the Rodney King uh, riots uh, in Los Angeles. um, And so when I think of race riots, you know, you think of Detroit or Watts or or Rodney King or but Miami was the race riot capital of America in the 1980s. We had no less than three incidents, all involving police officers, mostly white and Hispanic police officers, shooting and killing, uh, or in the case of the first one, beating to death uh, a black, unarmed black men. And they all resulted in horrific uh, uh, race riots. Some neighborhoods in Miami have never fully recovered from the 1980 riots. You still see empty, undeveloped entire city blocks wow. that, that were burned down uh, during those 1980 riots that people have not come back and reinvested in those, uh, in those African-American communities. And we had that in 1980, 83, uh, and 89, when the, when the eyes of the world were on Miami for the Super Bowl, it's supposed to be, oh, we get all this good publicity, we're having this, this world-class event. The city was burning because of uh, an officer who had, who had, uh, he had first been convicted if i'm not mistaken and then uh, it was overturned on appeal and he went free and uh we, we rioted what did you think about what happened in new york where those cops got killed and then they sent out this order uh, i don't know what uh, how it was uh, how it was dictated but the uh, the idea was they weren't going to arrest anybody the stand down for, uh, yeah, order yeah for anything that wasn't necessary it was but a, then but my k- k- take on it was that should be how cops always are it's fantastic you should always only arrest people for something that's absolutely necessary serious of yeah. course so what the fuck is this like you for a short period of time went back to actually being uh, someone who withholds the peace or or enforces the peace or cr- keeps the peace and then from there, they went back to being revenue collectors yeah. because that's what the fuck is really going Policing on. Policing for when, profit. When Absolutely. that kid, Eric Garter, that gentleman, which uh, kid, he's older, that guy got dragged to the ground and choked, didn't have any loose cigarettes on him, wasn't selling anything. And, then, and people were like, oh, that guy had 30 different prior arrests and, uh, oh, he resisted arrest. Like, that's not resisting arrest when you take a fucking innocent person and you violate their rights and you grab them around the neck and throw them to the ground. Like, that should have never happened in the first place. And the only reason it happened, because of taxes. That's it. That guy should have never been arrested. You, you have to remember. Never. That, you have to remember, he's never been accused of a capital crime. He wasn't committing a capital crime. And even if he were, which is to say that he was facing the death penalty for whatever he was being accused of, that's not how we carry out justice in this country. You don't get choked to death on the street like an animal. That's not how. That's not how we roll. Okay. No, it's that's a, nonsense. You, so, but but when you well, look at that, they they even tried to claim it wasn't a choke. Which right. Is a, <laughs> it was, which it was I had a step. Bit of a in. technicality. Yeah. Well, technically, that's what I do for a living. So I'm like, that's a fucking choke. You know, let me do it to you. Let me tell you if you could breathe real good. That's ridiculous. You're grabbing your forearm around that guy's neck and squeezing. That's a fucking choke. Well, I think you're right. I think it exposed uh, policing for profit. I, and yeah, the, the, but that's the real issue. New York City wasn't suddenly a lawless fucking right. bane running Gotham City. Ta- I mean, right. nothing. It nothing was, happened. Nothing happened. You, what, what happened was that 
innocent people stopped getting harassed for mm -hmm. no reason on the exactly. street over penny ante revenue generating uh, uh, ordinances. And in that sense, it's not even the fault of the cops. The cops are being forced into these yeah, situations the where they become absolutely. revenue collectors. Like these cops are being forced to go back and start policing as usual because they have fucking quotas. And people that say, oh, quotas are bullshit. You know, you're doing, you're doing. No, you have to research it. They're, the quotas are fucking real. Dude, They're 100% real. We, we've, they, they, uh, an organization, a great local blog, uh, Crespo Graham in, in Miami, who does a lot. He's like obsessed. We have this chapter 119, these public record laws. We call them sunshine laws where everything's in the sunshine. Um, doesn't quite always work that way in Florida, but a uh, sunny place for shady people and all that. But he he just he just does public record requests nonstop. And so people start leaking stuff to him before he even requests it. And he got an email that this uh, this like uh, this like third shift, this overnight shift in Little Haiti neighborhood that the city of Miami polices arrest quota. They actually had from from like the shift sergeant send out an email with quotas that included arrest quotas, meaning that each officer had to arrest, effectuate an arrest for what he didn't specify. But they had a minimum number of arrests they had to perform during a shift. That is insane. It's madness. What, what if you don't encounter anyone committing a crime? Well, that's what, what, what I've always said. What would happen in this country if the entire country if all 350 million people agreed okay even you fucking hardcore criminals no one's gonna do anything wrong for a month just one month the the the, the, the system would of the shut purge. down <laughs> yeah the opposite of the purge for one month no one's gonna speed no one's gonna steal no one's gonna do anything wrong just everyone abide by the law even I mean that's that's not outside the realm of possibility these these departments would freak the fuck out they wouldn't know what to do oh, they would have no revenue coming I, in I, I think about I think about you know what what Hitchens uh, rest in peace always used to say about you know the necessity of, of religion to keep us from becoming savages or be, you know from, right. from I, we we know right from wrong we mm -hmm. have internal moral compass i said earlier i'm like god i wish i could be corrupt you know like I, so i could make more money and you know and, and take care of my family better but like but i can't do it i think you know every time i kind of like try to lay off i was you know of, of just like what's right or wrong i get right back on twitter and i'm like this shit's wrong and people need to mm -hmm. know about it and like it's the same thing there it's like without the 10 commandments would we just start raping and robbing and murdering? And I don't think we would do that. As I think we all have, it goes back to this this sense of self worth. I think we all have, by and large, uh, this this sense of self worth and preservation, which might very well be off the charts. But I think actually creates makes us a little bit more civilized because it's like, well, I have too much to lose. Maybe uh, you know I, I'm not going to just rape, rob, and murder. And I think you're right. I think, well, that I think that's happen. a bad way of addressing it in the first place. Like this, I have too much to lose to do that. No, you don't want to hurt people. It feels bad. Whatever to, it takes. It feels bad to <laughs> insult people. One of the issues that we have with the internet is that you know you have a, a real issue with people stalking, harassing, being trolling people, being vicious to people, strangers because, too, like people they don't right, even know. Because there's no social consequences. There's no you don't you don't feel it. If you're looking at a person and you take a person and you show them. A picture of them with 15 dicks in their mouth which by the way I'm not really talking about that because that's usually pretty funny like there's a lot of pictures of me with dicks in my mouth I've never once tried to take them off the internet I think they're hilarious it doesn't bother me but for some people it's genuinely upsetting especially women like that find pictures of I'm them I'm googling attached right now to, you, uh, dude believe me go to my fucking <laughs> message board 
There's a swarm of them. I don't have a problem a, a, with is it. Is it a, ga- a swarm of dicks? Is it a gaggle? How it's, do you? It's a, a flock of dicks, like a, or, a cauldron. A, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just think. Look, uh, there's the golden rule of the internet. If there's a photo of you in the internet somewhere, someone has photoshopped a dick in your mouth. I mean, it's just that's. If they haven't, it's just the people don't Google know me about now. that photo no. yet. I guarantee you, by the end of this podcast, there will be pictures of you in some sort of a compromising position. What's funny is that if I, if I didn't have one, I'd actually be offended. I'd feel, yeah. I'd feel worse about myself. I'd be like, no one's bothered to even Photoshop a dick in my mouth. If this you reach terrible. a certain amount of photographs of you on the internet, it's ultimately inevitable. If you're a public <laughs> person, you know, if you are you a comedian, inedible? Or, oh, inevitable. inevitable. Like someone's going to put inedible. a dick in your mouth. Right? I think it's fairly <laughs> edible it's at this point. It's been proven. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, you know, that, that that's more fun than anything. But I think the hateful that, shit you're talking yeah, about. Hateful yeah, hateful shit. Like, I mean, I've seen some really fucking evil harassment that some people have had to suffer. For whatever reason, it seems to be more women than anything. Mm. Because with women, they could use the rape thing. Like, if a guy tells me he's going to rape me, I'm like, well, good luck with that. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Unless you roofie me, you're not raping me, dude. You know, <laughs> like, No Cosby. I mean, you'd have to, yeah. This, this, this thing that we can do because of this... Um, this ability to interact with people with no social consequences. It's a real issue. Twitter gangsters. Yeah, well, I call them sad, lonely Twitter trolls. Facebook That's kind of is a little bit better because with Facebook, you can click on the person's profile and you see, oh, this Learn is Mike, something, yeah. Mike Jones from, you know, blah, blah, blah street. Yeah. You know, this Twitter is some fucking yeah. egg, you yeah, know, with some exactly. stupid handle. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, that does become a, a real issue with social interaction, but I think it's a temporary hiccup. I really do. I think that this we're in a, a stage of uh, almost an adolescent stage of interactivity where th- what we're experiencing now is is just it's a it's a weird like bridge between total connectivity. I, the complete absence of any form of privacy is on the way. I mean, it might be 100 years from now. It might be 30. It might be in our lifetime. It may be a couple months from now. Somebody might come up with something, and they'll say, look, this is going. This one thing that we're going to implement is going to be unbelievable as far as exchanging information, as far as our knowledge base. The actual IQ of human beings is going to double within weeks. We're going to change the world. But... No more privacy. Mm. I mean, it's and you going, think we're in like the learning curve? Yes, kind of. It's going to happen. We 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 are essentially we are driving around in Model A's. But one day someone's going to invent a fucking 911 GT3. And you know, if you went back and took time when Henry Ford's driving around his stupid fucking shitty car, you know, and you pulled up beside him in a Mustang Shelby GT500 and you go, check this shit out. I'm from the future. He'd be like, what the fuck is that? Dude, like, I'm, that just, I'm, still, I'm still waiting on the hoverboard. Bitch. I'm still waiting on the hoverboard. I, but if yeah, you think but the hoverboard is just, you're just floating. What's the big deal? It's just not <laughs> touching anything. Whoa, it's so crazy. We have jets that go fast in the speed of sound. I mean, that's the, the hoverboard's dog shit. Oh, it can float. So can a plane, stupid. I just you know, think of how, how much the, the world has is, is changed. We're, we're working on a doc about uh, about 9-11 right now, and, and it's it's like, you know, it's been like 14 years, but you know, it's mm. been a, it's, it, which is incredible because it seems like such a modern historic, which it is, of course, a modern historical event, but it seems like just yesterday. And when you consider how much the world has changed, particularly tech- technologically, mm-hmm. there was no Twitter. Yeah. There was no Instagram. There was no, you know, there was, ba- the, uh, uh, there was barely YouTube at that yeah. point, you know? Uh, so I think YouTube actually, no, there was no YouTube. It was like, t- like t- 2003 or 2004. Right. Like, there was like Napster in 99, but that mm-hmm. was like, you just think of how far we've come. I think you're right. This is just the infancy of, 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 of this era. Yeah. yeah. And I think, um, like, what you're talking about 
on your website where all these people are getting upset and you know the, the yeah. Trayvon Martin thing and people are interacting and this racism and all this all that stuff I think is a byproduct of this the, the the monkey DNA that we still carry around in our bodies and I think we're on our way to transcending that in some very strange way where it's not gonna matter what part of the world you're from it's not gonna matter it's all that what are the things we've seen with really these people that? getting yep these people getting married in Alabama these you know the, the way though the world is changing that I believe is 100% because of the internet I believe that wholeheartedly and uh, that's one of the things that encourages me and I feel like this trend like uh, today like no one could try to bring back slavery today but in 1870 1865 1860 these were real arguments these are real arguments where people are saying we should be able to keep slaves that's a fucking blink of an eye man that is not that long ago you're talking about 150 years that ain't shit that's not shit historically I mean that's so so recent and more so now than ever before more so within the last few years than ever before and you know you've seen ridiculous things out like the social justice warriors these really weird white people that are trying so hard to get black people to love them that they just go out of their way to just be outrageously progressive to the point where they're actually prejudiced against other white people they're like they go so far left to become right you know I mean I've seen some ridiculous shit where I saw this one guy who was quoting about Osama bin Laden saying that um, I will never uh, celebrate someone's death uh, you know, even if they were a horrible person, you know, and then the same guy quoted about Christopher Hitchens, you know, good riddance. He was a misogynist and a warmonger. Like, okay, fuckhead. Like, <laughs> you can't have it both ways. But what he is is the uber version of the social justice warrior, the unfuckable white dude trying so hard to get women and black people to love him because he just is completely insubstantial in any real form in our in our the the the, the, the normal context of our culture well, i find the more you know the thinking about race so much is kind of racist mm -hmm. so like the yes. more kind of progressive you get about these issues the more you're thinking about sensitivity and the more i think that's an overcorrection yeah to, to, to say the least you know i, I we um like black annie Black Annie. They're doing Black Uncle Buck. Did you know that? I just wanted to bang my head. That, you, know, that, that, <laughs> you don't have to that, do that. That tr that that trend. That like what was that like the late '90s, early zeros when like hip hop was peaking. They did a black. There was the Black Honeymooners. I don't remember. There was the Black Airplane with Soul Plane. Yeah, they Soul started Plane. To do, so that trend is like coming back around again. Like we have to, we have to do the, we have to do the black version of like all of these like pop Just, culture uh, was, uh, they touchdowns. So this is it's demeaning. It's demeaning to black people to do that. And first of all, Soul Plane. I, I know the guy who created it. White guy. Not only yeah. that, opportunist, kind of a cunt. You know, it's just what's going on is people are taking advantage of this opportunity to like to, to capitalize on a market. Culture, vul yeah. culture vultures. Culture vultures you know, is I a great this, way okay, of looking at early, it. Last, early last year, we did a, a mini series for, for VH1's Rock Docs series. I think it might have been their, one of their last Rock Docs ever um, called The Tanning of America, One Nation Under Hip Hop. And so it was tanning. the tanning of America, <laughs> one nation under hip hop. As long as there's no blackface involved. And and it was uh, it, it written. It was a book called The Tanning of America, written by a guy named Steve Stout, who was a, 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 a major duty guy in in the record business and is now a, a big wig in the uh, mar marketing and advertising world. And his thesis was that hip hop culture led to the election of the first black president. 
the idea that a generation of Americans that grew up immersed with the music, the fashion, how it infiltrated uh, the, the Wall Street, uh, 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 Madison Avenue and the consumer goods uh, uh, sector. And like and we just grew up immersed in this culture. Uh, it tanned the mental complexion of Americans and made it OK or even cool to vote for a, the first black president. And so we had four hours to kind of prove this this thesis. And we go to Sundance last year. Um, I think it was actually the venue was called the Black House. Um, and it was an event that sort of celebrated the the African-American uh, cinema and culture that was going on at Sundance. And so we're going to do like this panel discussion because the movie wasn't done yet. And we're going there and someone had said to me for the first time, we've been working on this project for almost two years or a year and a half. And someone said to me for the first time, like, particularly, I guess they were concerned about that environment, uh, the black, you know, the, the black house, which turned out to be a fantastic experience. But they said, well, what if somebody says like, well, why are you guys doing it? You know, mm. you two like white Jewish dudes from, from Miami. Why, why, why are you guys doing this documentary? And I was like, and the thought had never crossed my mind. Like, I didn't even think about that. Like, right. why would I think about it? Fascinating subject. Great story, great idea, great concept, a challenge to kind of prove that. Which and is what you do. That's we, what you cover historically. And I never thought, and then, and then I sort of, and then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, well, why am I even thinking about this? Like, and, <laughs> and, 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 and like someone put it, you know, got in my head with it. And, and White privilege. Yeah. And, and you I, have and, white privilege. And then I started getting white guilt about it. White guilt. Yeah, white male privilege. You I should. was like, oh you shit. You should have white guilt. And then I started feeling like, well, wait, is it white male privilege that I never thought about this before? Of course that it I is. I was like, oh of shit. Of course it is. Shame. I know. Shame I, on you. I started. A I pox. Was, I was really in my head about this. A pox and, upon you. And then I'm like, and what if somebody else brings it up, like publicly, or asks me about it, or what the hell am I going to say, or what Kill the hell am I going to do? With rocks. And I and I and I thought about it. I thought about it for literally that entire thing happened in like a millisecond. Mm. And then I'm like, well, first of all, uh, we are that generation. I thought about my childhood. In Living Color was my SNL. Right. Arsenio was my Johnny Carson. Right. I grew up a white, a white Jewish kid. I watched 227. I watched The Cosby Show, A Different World. Amen. Do you remember the show Amen? What the fuck am I watching Amen for? What was Amen? Amen. Well, Deacon, do you remember? It took place at like a black church with, um, with what's his name? George Jefferson. Oh. Was like a, it was like it was it was no, it was a great I'm show, but what the hell am I watching it for? But I loved it. I, I didn't think about. It. I How listened about Sanford to and Run Sons, DMC, one of the Sanford greatest Sons. fucking shows Good times. ever. Norman Lear, a little white Jewish guy like me, was responsible for for the first all black sitcoms on television. Uh, uh, Sanford and Son, The Jeffersons, Good Times. Um, all in the family, which really brought the discussion of race to tele to mainstream television in the way stand up comics were doing it. Obviously, well before that, but but said we're going to go on network television and have serious conversations about politics and race and poverty uh, in, in this country. Um, white Jewish guy, and then you look at Russell. Russell Simmons teams up with Rick Rubin, a white Jewish guy uh, at, at NYU. Um, you look at all you know at all these sort of relationships that helped. Uh, you know, we interviewed Brett Ratner, white Jewish kid from Miami Beach who, who was loved hip hop because hip hop wasn't. It, was, it wasn't just urban music, it was youth culture music, and that's why I captured the generation of, you know, kids who didn't want to listen to what their parents were listening to, you know, and, and it wasn't rock and roll anymore, it became hip-hop or, or rap music at the time. And the second thing was, Steve Stout, to his credit, when we walked in the room to meet with him, he didn't know we were white, he knew we did Cocaine Cowboys, he knew we did the U, he knew the work. 
and he respected and liked the work. So he's like, oh, I want to work with those guys who did this shit that I like and respect. It wasn't like, oh, wait, they're white. So to his credit, he never thought about it either. So it's like, why should I start thinking about it? I'm dealing with the same thing right now with dogfight. That's what I'm, I'm dealing with uh, yeah, explain, right now. Explain black dogfight subculture, to these you know? folks. Explain uh, your, your new project. Well, first I got to spell it. Yeah. It's D-A-W-G. It's not Michael Vick. Yeah, it's, it's dogfight. Like, yeah, it's not like... Uh, Pitbulls. Yeah, it's <laughs> Dolly. It's not. It's it's dogfight. Well, uh, the the underground culture in Miami. Yeah. There's been a, a like a street fighting culture. Yeah. Well, this was the the subculture that that real. Well, I'd say Kimbo Slice was kind of responsible for it. In sure. A way, yeah. Because he became the uh you know the role model mm -hmm. for a new generation of young people in Miami to literally try to fight their way to a better life. And mm -hmm. there's this neighborhood which is right right where Kimbo came from and would fight in the backyards uh, called West Perrine. So this is 22 miles southwest of South Beach. So when you think Miami, you most people default like I said, but you know the Ocean Drive. This is 22 miles southwest of that. This is in an area that I call a suburban ghetto. And I say that because when you think of ghetto or an urban neighborhood, you think of um, you think of vertical, you know, people stacked in projects, you know, uh, you know, on top of each other, next to each other. But Perrine has these very modest houses in like it, it, on, a, on a pretty reasonably sized lot. So you have a little house and you have a, a, a nice size yard. And so Dada 5000, Dafir Harris, he's this guy who actually, there's a video of him, a YouTube video that we use in the movie, of him benching in his mom's yard there in Prime, 650 pounds he benches. Um, and he's benching, he's bench pressing and Team Kimbo comes rolling by and sees this guy, this beast, and is like, I'm going to fight Ray Mercer in Atlantic City. Why don't you roll with us? So for a year, Dada is on the fucking jet, you know, going around the world with, with, with Team Kimbo. Well, Kimbo was very slick in that fight with Ray Mercer. He was very smart. Caught him in a fucking guillotine. He's like, listen, bitch, I learned some new shit. I ain't standing up with you, Olympic gold medalist, world heavyweight boxing champion. Fuck you. I'm going to fucking choke your neck. And Kimbo, like, when he did that, like, Ray Mercer was pissed off. You saw the Ray Mercer fight with Tim Sylvia. Did you see that fight? No, I didn't. God damn. Ray Mercer hit Tim Sylvia with a punch that probably took a year and a half off his life. I mean, <laughs> one punch. He, he KO'd no, him. It's terrible. He KO'd him so viciously with this one punch. I mean, it was one within the first 15, 20 seconds of the fight. Just hit him Dude. flush on the chin and knocked him dead. So you're seeing that in a legal sanctioned environment where the where the fighters had had checkups. They were weighed mm -hmm. in. There's a doctor, an ambulance. A lot well, of these are like on Indian yeah, reservations. I, yeah, that's, and that's stuff. true. Well, imagine it in a fucking backyard. Oh, dude, I've seen I them mean, all. It's I've seen just... Alex Caceres, who fights for the UFC right mm -hmm. now. He got his start doing that shit. Yeah. So did Jorge Masvidal, who's a high level fighter in the UFC. Masvidal fought a lot of those fights. Well, that that's like to me like the origin story. That's the goal for these guys. Mm -hmm. You have a neighborhood that is, um, you know, over a third black. Uh, vast majority uh, of the of the community is below, you know below the the poverty level. Mm -hmm. um, unemployment is like a third higher than the national average, and you basically have a community with very little hope and very little opportunity. You know, you've criminalized a vast majority of the male population, so they're not they can't mm -hmm. get work, and they think that their best hope is to fight in these illegal, unsanctioned, bare-knuckle backyard brawls, upload the footage to YouTube, and hopefully get discovered by a professional MMA promoter or trainer and, and try to go pro. Well, look at Kimbo. Kimbo Slice has made millions yeah. of dollars. He's the guy, they, he's the, that Horatio Alger story that, that, that they aspire to be. He, and He recently got signed for Bellator. He's going to fight he, again on television. How old is Kimbo? 
Um, it's a good question. I would say he's probably in his 40s now. Wow. You know, uh, when he fought for the Ultimate Fighter, I think he was like in his late 30s. Mm. Let's see, Kimbo Slice. Well, Dada. So they blew up. Team Kimbo blew up a fighter named Level Level Martinez. 41. 41. Wow. Um, I'm thinking that's old in the in the world of in the average age. Of... Heavyweights tend to age uh, better. Uh huh. Um, it's, but uh, he fought at 205, I believe, in the UFC. Uh huh. Um, I think there's something going on with heavyweights where your body takes longer to learn how to move all that mass. If I had to look at it that way, lighter weight fighters also rely much more on speed and reflexes. Mm. I think as you get larger, you tend to rely more on skills and more on it's just sort of an understanding of what your body can and can't do. They have smaller gas tanks, just undeniably. There's no way a heavyweight, unless you're Cain Velasquez, who's a really f a fucking freak of nature, can fight at the same sort of a pace that a lighter weight guy can. So the thing, the UFC heavyweight champion, Cain Velasquez, is one of the most unique athletes I've ever seen. Because so that lends itself to longevity? I mean, you just sort of like go at well, it. Well, not him sure. in his case, uh -huh. no, because he's all fucked up. I mean, Cain, who is an amazing fighter and one of the, I think, he might, is a good argument, he might be the best heavyweight of all time. But his body keeps breaking. He keeps blowing out knees and shoulders. It's because he's so mentally tough. And he's so driven and focused and so intense and dedicated that he pushes through injuries. And you can't fucking do that. You know, when you push through injuries, what happens is they just break further. You know, I mean, you can't push through a knee injury. You, what you're you doing heal. is, yeah, you got to get surgery or you got to heal or you got to figure out a way to recuperate the scenario or, or, or alter your training so that, you, you know, this doesn't happen in the future. But they're all just so fucking tough, man, which is what made them great wrestlers in the first place and what allowed them to transition into MMA. But Kane has this insane gas tank where he just doesn't get fucking tired. He just overwhelms guys because he's just he's got so much fucking cardio. And a lot of it is probably natural. Like his just his body it's different people have different like natural VO two maxes. It's just it's one of those things like some people have more uh, fast twitch muscle fiber, some people have thicker bones, some people have more they can just especially for some reason it seems like Mexicans in particular have very good cardio. It's really common, you know, that, I mean, it could conceivably be that a lot of Mexican folks come from really hardworking environments and they've been forced to work like labor jobs, like a lot of them, especially second, third generation, whose parents had a, an arduous trek to get over here from Mexico. You know, it could be mental, could be just they're more mentally tough, or it could be some physiological aspect. But my point is that, like, He's a rarity in that his gas tank is just insane. Most heavyweights, as they get older, they kind of learn how to pace themselves better. They learn their, their skills. They learn how to be more efficient with their movement. Like Vladimir Klitschko, who is just unstoppable as the heavyweight champion in boxing, I believe, I want to say he's 39 years old. Wow. Which is, I mean, he's coming into his own now. I mean, when he was younger, he went through a streak where he got stopped. I think two fights in a row, he got KO'd, and you know, wasn't 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 looking good for him. And now he's like, you know, all these years later, he's like unstoppable. Yeah, he's um he's 38 right now, wow. and he's, you know, he hasn't lost in like 10 fucking years. I'm kind of fascinated by this because I'm just getting into it now. I spent almost two years following this and several years in post trying to find a way is to it get done? it released. Is it, is it is almost done. We're scoring it now. It's coming out March 12th. And will I, it be you, in the films? You go to dog-fight.com, D-A-W-G-fight.com, or if, you, if that's tough to remember, cocainecowboys.com will we'll, we'll, we'll eventually, we'll we'll eventually get to... you there. You'll, you can click through, yeah. But um, uh, we, uh, it's going to be online. 
It's going to be online. You're going to be able to get it there at the site. Like, will, it, will it be on Netflix? Will it be on eventually? I, absolutely. Apple yeah, yeah. TV. Oh, absolutely. Eventually, eventually everywhere. I'm hoping to eventually get it on Showtime. We've had a, we've had a great run with the Cocaine Cowboys movies oh, and some yeah, of our, our I, other I, docs on Showtime. I mean, it's so, so good. Cocaine Cowboys. Thank is you. So good. I, the, the, the critic at the Miami Herald saw a rough cut because we're we're going to premiere cut, it. That that shithead. No, no, they, no. The movie critic. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Who's a great guy, by the way, Renee Rodriguez. I love Renee. He saw a rough Go cut. Go Renee. He saw a rough cut and he said it's our best movie. Dogfight. Whoa. And um, that's, that's strong words. And, yeah, I know. Cocaine I'm, Cowboys 1 was amazing. Cocaine Cowboys 2 might have even been better. Really? Might have been better. Said that no one ever. Griselda <laughs> said me. Griselda. God damn, that bitch is terrifying. Whenever, whenever I hear about people like doing shit for money or for a paycheck, I was just like, listen, I did Cocaine Cowboys 2 hustling with the godmother. I directed a movie called Cocaine Cowboys 2 Hustling, not even hustling, hustling with an apostrophe at the end of it with the godmother. Yeah, dude. I mean, that's good. in my filmography. Thank you. But you're very good. kind. You're very, you're no, very I'm kind. not kind. I, I fucking, <laughs> do, you, do you not like the second one as no, much as the first one? I don't. Really? Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm ranking, you know, I always say movies, movies are, are like kids. You know, when people say, do you have a favorite? Fuck uh -huh. yeah, but I'm not going to tell you. You know, like, that's it's the same thing with kids. Like, every parent, I don't care, give a shit what they say. I love them all equally. No, you don't. Because some kids are just assholes. <laughs> you, just, you can't possibly, you know, and, and some of them are screw-ups in life. And Do you like, have children? No, I don't. Yeah, you can kind of love them all equally. Because I think when kids they fuck up. They can't like them all equally. Yeah, well, it's kind of, it's, there's a part of it that's your fault. That's the thing that people don't So you feel guilty, you're saying yeah. the guilt compensates for, for the love, well, for the love, Raises the love because you feel that they need more love because you screwed them up. You're responsible for their being. I had being a assholes. dog that killed one of my other dogs, like, and, I, and I loved the dog that she killed, but I loved her just as much, and it was very sad. I mean, obviously, I should have loved the dog that got killed more because she wasn't a cunt. She wasn't an asshole that was you know out there killing the other dogs. But this this dog was a sweetie, and I picked her up at the pound, and she lived at the pound. She was in one of those no kill shelters for like eight months, and. When I was young, man, I had a real problem in that um, it's hard to uh, talk about, I guess. Um, where I felt like um, I felt I, I always had this uh, this need to help strays, and I think I, I had this need to help strays because I felt like a stray. And when I would see a, a, a dog in a pound, or a, like I, I bought a cat from a fucking pet store because it hissed at me. You know, because I felt like this poor fucking cat, like, scared of me. I'm not, you don't have to be scared of me. I love you. And uh, I felt that way about this dog, this poor dog. I used to call her Squeaky because uh, when I picked her up, she couldn't even talk. She couldn't bark because she had barked so much so often in this pound that her, her voice was gone. So when she was barking in the pound, she'd be like, <laughs> it was like this squeaky noise. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with her voice? And I realized, oh, my God, she's barking all day and she doesn't have a voice anymore. And then when I took her home and took care of her, she eventually got her voice back and she barked like a normal dog. But that dog fucking loved people, man. She loved people. She was so happy to be out of that. But she didn't like other dogs because if other dogs came near her, she felt like it was a competition for love. Like if you came near another dog, that other dog was going to get that love. So she would get upset at that dog for stealing love from her and she would try to attack it. So I loved her equally, even though she was an idiot, you know. But it wasn't her fault that she was an idiot, you know. I it would I would I realized from then on I would never get a dog that's not a puppy. That you got to raise them from the time they're puppies mm -hmm. because then you don't have any they don't have any phobias or weirdness. 
And you get a chance to to raise them around people and raise them around other dogs and socialize them. And it's an important aspect of humans, just like it's an important aspect of any other animal that's in our culture. So, um, you know, I you can love your fucking shitty kids just as much as you love your good kids. We, it's because it's partly your fault that they're shitty. I don't know about that. It's your part. It's your fault for bringing them into the world. Some people are just no, born assholes. Not, you I know? don't I believe mean, that. Like, but, I don't believe that. Oh, really? I, think, I believe. Yeah, that. I don't think so. I think. Um, I think it's how they're. Some people require more attention. Uh, I don't think people yeah. are born assholes. Though. Oh, I, I do. I, th I think there's, na there's nature versus nurture, but I think that because there are people who endure what I would consider and many other people consider intolerable uh, stress and abuse mm -hmm. and don't become psychotic assholes. And then there yeah. are people who are, are raised in the most loving and nurturing uh, 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 and, 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 permi and permissive and enabling environments and become deranged lunatics. Yeah, so but I how think do you those account for that, I don't though? buy that. I think those people that become deranged lunatics, they probably didn't get the attention that they deserved or they probably didn't get the... Look, uh, raising a human being is not as simple as just sending the kids to school and tucking them into bed at night. You, you're, you're, you're training them. You're communicating with them. You're imparting love, and you're impart. They, they learn by imitating their atmosphere. They learn by imitating their environment, or they learn because they get ignored and they figure shit out on their own. Some do. People learn different ways, and people absorb the lessons they learn in different ways. It's like mm -hmm. you were talking about the, the sort of the chemical makeup of a fighter and how different bones and different bodies respond differently to different stimulus and depending on your size and your shape and, and, and your training and your steroids or whatever. I think that, that hap that's, that's true of, of a human. You're born with a certain chemical balance, and I'm not saying that can't shift or change with time, but I think there are certain inclinations that we are born with, good or bad, that cannot be rectified by a proper or, or that they're positive born upbringing. With. Born with, like right out of the box. Right it's, out of the box. I don't, I don't buy that at all. You're gay, you're crazy, you're black, you're white. Whoa, you're, gay I think and crazy and black no, all in I, one I, sentence. I mean, How dare you? No <laughs> wonder why people are so upset at you. It's <laughs> just, I, those were mutually exclusive uh, examples. And I, I just, but I think that there are, there are, unquestionably characteristics that you cannot raise or beat or love out of somebody that mm. they are just ingrained in them I think you should probably have kids before you say that I really do I think you should probably have kids and raise them from the time they're babies and see the developmental process because it's a lot of you, what you're doing right now is just speculating and me I've raised three kids I've, I've been there I've, I've, I've seen the process of good and bad the corrective process and I've been very lucky that my kids don't have develop, developmental issues or mental issues, and some kids are certainly born with that. But I think, to a large extent, children imitate their environment, and there's certainly a lot of deterministic factors. There's a lot of genetic factors. There's a lot of like in, intangible variables that are difficult to... There's going to be kids that are more selfish. There's going to be kids that are more angry. There's going to be kids that are more outgoing. There's going to be kids that are more gregarious. There's, but I'm saying that will happen that. regardless of you're how You're not going to have shitty people, though. Shitty people come from abuse almost always. Almost always. When you have a really terrible person, that terrible person is not treated with love. Almost universally. I, I just don't buy that... In, unless you have some, like, real issue like a real brain issue right. where there's like some part of the mind it, it, it develops decay or there's a tumor or there's an injury there's something where there's a, a there's a disconnect uh, to very critical processes unless that's the case like you don't you don't make a monster i i believe i, I don't think that's true I, I think i think you can choose 
to be a good person or a bad person. Mm -hmm. I think there are some people that cannot choose that are based chemically, on what? Based on who? That Give me an example. Or, you, that's, you're I, saying it. it's a very bold statement. I don't think it's that bold. It's very bold. I, I don't, I don't think it's very bold think, saying that some people are fucked from birth. No, no, you might. No, that's no, what you're saying. I'm not talking about it in a spiritual way. I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about it in very much. We're not much saying spiritual. We're saying the way they behave. I'm like no, you, you're saying that some people, no matter what you do, no matter what, how much effort you put in, how much love you give these yes. kids, and how much ex, you expose them to different environments, you give them different tasks and different learning opportunities, they're still going to be shitheads. Yes. That's, based on that, what? That, that, that's, that's based what, on that's what? what? That's I'm such saying. a bold statement. That's what I'm saying. But uh, why would you say that? That's ba you have no data. Like well, it's well, not based on anything. Okay, yeah, but 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 it's also a question of how you define. But it is the, there, there's isolated cases of that everywhere. There's isolated. It's like affluenza. Affluenza but, is but, like but, one of on those. But the saying is isolated cases. You should have those isolated cases in your mind if you're well, saying. something I'm citing like right that. now. I'm citing the well, the affluenza cases for example. But uh, that's this the flu. You're no, 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 not influenza, affluenza. Oh, affluenza. Which is this new made that, up yeah. it's this new okay. made up thing that say okay. these kids are shitheads because they've been influenza. given they've been given everything in life. So now they're assholes as a result. And oh. you would argue and and and, and That's fairly, because they're most likely ignored. Right. You're I mean, right just you're because they have money doesn't mean they have love. It doesn't mean they have learning experiences. Doesn't mean someone has been nurturing them or guiding them or mentoring them. Those are the issues that people have. It's not money. But I'm saying it's also possible that they have mental defects. That's all we're really talking about, which is what you've already said, which is that, is that sure. there are people who have, who are wired, is what I'm saying, to, 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 uh, propensities uh, to violence, it's to be short-fused. It's, it's very possible that they do. However, most likely if they become cunts, is because someone did a shitty job of raising them. That includes this Affluenza, which is a very new term, which is why it fucked me up. Yeah. It's a horrible so people term, have too. Been it shouldn't using be this. a thing. It shouldn't be a thing. Well, they've been using this to exonerate people. From, yes, from, it's crazy. It's bizarre. Well, it's this world, though, where, where and you're going you're gonna to get on me about this, too, because I don't have kids, but it's this world where everybody's looking for an answer for why their kid's an asshole, for why their kid's acting out, for why their kid is too sensitive, for why their kid is, And everybody needs a diagnosis Everybody uh -huh. or, and or a drug that can help fix them. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs to know like, oh, I'm not fucking up. My kid actually has some well, you know, invented most malady. likely by the time you have one of those issues, you've already fucked your kid up. <laughs> That's what's going on. Children are animals, okay? Just like a person, a grown adult like is a puppy? an animal. Like, no, yeah, no, 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 no. It's an animal. Yeah. Animals react to their environment. Have you ever had a feral cat? No, okay. I've had feral cats. I've had my, cat, my friend you know. Lainey, her and her boyfriend found these fucking cats underneath the house, and they, 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 this cat had given birth these cats, and she was giving away kittens. And I again, I have to take in strays, so I took this fucking stray in, and this crazy fucking cat was in my house. And, and learning from feral cats, you realize like, oh, okay, like this cat is already fucked. Like by the time I got to it, it was X amount of months old or whatever. It was there was no fixing this fucking thing. It was already fucked, and that is the case with human beings you develop a certain amount of pathways in your your mind in your intellect in the way you uh, comprehend the world in the way you 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 interact with your environment that's based upon the dangers that you've been exposed to based upon the in input that you've had and once those pathways are defined in a very violent and negative way or whether you've been ignored or whether you've been spoiled to the point where you could scream at the help and yell at the housekeepers and everybody bows down in front of you because you're a, a, a Rockefeller or so, it's just something along those lines the affluenza aspect of it when it, you get to a certain point those 
those pathways are so established in the mind that it's insanely difficult to change that. So when you're coming along and you're saying like, hey, you know, I need a pill to fix my kid. No, you didn't pay attention to them enough. Like a child needs constant attention. Babies need to have a mother around them all the time, a father around them all the time. They need input. They need to try to develop an understanding of their world. And a lot of people don't do that. They pass their kid off to the fucking nanny. They don't pay attention to it when it cries in the crib. And they, they wonder why their kid gets fucked up when they're working 17 hours a day and they never see the kid. And they're like, I don't have any fucking time to deal with this kid. Let's put him on Prozac. Well, how that's you, what happens. How do you then explain the people who overcome adversity, who come from horrific because, life experiences, just because you and, can and make something of themselves? Just because you can, because it can be done, doesn't mean everyone's going to do it. Not everyone's going to finish a fucking marathon just because people start running. Some people run a hundred miles. They do that ultra marathon. Some people get five miles in. They're like, I can't fucking do this. And for whatever reason, they decide to take a nap. They decide to sit on the side of the highway and stop. Some people, they decide, you know what? My mom was a prostitute. My dad was a junkie and I am not going to be like that I'm gonna learn and I'm never gonna have a drink I have a friend who, who's a great guy and his grandmother used to lock him in his fucking room and lock the door and leave him there for the weekend so she could get drunk his mom was never there mm. his parents were never there and he this fucking guy to this day won't touch alcohol and, and he's not a psychotic is, asshole right and is terrified about food like he oh he, he will not throw food away like when he goes to a restaurant and he gets scraps I mean it would be a tiny portion that guy will take that to go with him he will not waste food is because when he was a kid he was exposed to this horrible situation but other people could have been exposed to that and become a serial killer other people could have been exposed to the same situation right and that's what i'm saying to... because they're pre predisposed to being good or bad people that's exactly no what I'm it's saying. not a predisposed he made choices and he became a fighter and one of the things about martial arts is it gave him a sense of self-worth and character but you can't say that it's he's predisposed to be a good person, or someone else would be predisposed to be a bad person. A lot of it is these subtle variables that happen when you're interacting with your environment. I think some of those subtle variables, though, are chemical. They are in the brain. They are, they, they, they do they do exist. And, and it's possible, but yeah. it's also you should know what you're talking about when you're saying these kind of things. Like you're you're stating them as facts, and I think there's a real issue with that when you don't have any data. Oh no, I, not, I'm I'm stating them as opinions. But you're not I'm, though. I'm saying you're, you're saying when you're saying that some people are fucked. I'm saying I believe. Right, I'm not but, saying that people, you know, but you're uh, arguing it so strongly like you you have this in your mind as a rigid idea I mean, there's definitely possibilities as far as mental deficiencies I mean look some people are born blind, you know, some people are born where they don't have any hands So there, there's a lot of issues with human beings. We don't come out perfect But to say that some people could do a great job and their kids just gonna be a monster anyway most likely not. Most likely what you're seeing is people that do not want to take responsibility for the fact they did a shitty job of developing a human being. That might be by and large true, but you do have, but, but, but uh, schizophrenia is, is a legitimate mental uh, defect. Okay, I don't but, believe, I don't yeah, believe, we're talking I don't believe about you're raised diseases. to be But that's what I'm talking about. I'm well, talking about, that's leukemia. a predisposition yeah, but you're not to... talking about leukemia or schizophrenia. You're no, talking I'm, about no, people I'm, being assholes. No, <laughs> No, no, you are, I'm not. No, right? I'm not. But that's no, what you were saying. No, I'm talking about if you, if you grow up to be a truly disturbed individual, there are there's not always an opportunity to change that. 
or to reverse that trend, regardless of how well you're brought up or how loving right, but uh, you your used parents are. affluenza as an example of that. That's not schizophrenia. That's people that ignored their fucking kids. Oh no, absolutely. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, 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 is that there are people who have a predisposition towards certain behavior, and there are people who may or may not be be raised right. I think we're confusing. The, the two issues. I think ultimately we might actually be saying the same thing uh, in one way or another. But I'm saying I'm talking about legitimate defects in individuals. Mm -hmm. Legitimate defects in individuals. Call them, call them mutations. Well, call them what you will. Most certainly, there are legitimate defects in certain individuals. Most certainly. But I think that a lot of what we're dealing with as a culture, as a community, is if you look at people in indigenous cultures. They're constantly around their children. They spend all this time with their children, and you, you see far less instances of mental issues. You see far less mental diseases. You see far less issues of uh, depression and uh, the, the sort of existential angst that we exhibit almost like more frequently than not in our culture. And I think a lot of that has to do with the developmental process of a child is not just misunderstood, but is ignored and is is treated in a way where it's it's a very irresponsible the way a lot of people raise children. Like I have friends I'm that are really that. nice. <laughs> I have two friends that are very, they're very nice folks and they both work insanely difficult jobs where they're gone all day long and their kids are starting to be fucked up and we've been friends with them for a long time so I've known their kids since they were little they've got a kid that I mean I, I can't be too specific about it or I'll, I'll be uh, but their son is fucked up man and they're smart but they're they don't have the time and they're not around the kid all the time and the kids terrified and he fucking screams in the middle of the night all the time they're never home they're they're fucking they're, they have nannies to take care of them and the kids are really confused and these people have long hours they work long hours and I don't see that changing and I see their kids coming out of this in a very fucked up way and I'm watching it happen from the beginning to, to where they are now, to the point where me me and my family, we're kind of avoiding them now. We don't want to hang out with them because their kids are starting to be disturbed. They start, they, they're, they're, they're acting aggressive towards other kids in some sort of a weird way. Um, you, their, their need to be around their parents is like, it's, it's not, it's not normal. It's like this, like, like they're drowning, you know, like they need air and their parents are air. It's like they cling to them. They hold on to them. They're scared of everything. And what it is, is these kids are not being nurtured correctly because it's not natural in the wild as a human being, as an organism. It's not natural to be away from your, your parents for 16 hours of every day. It's not, it's not natural to see your parents just as you go to bed and as you wake up. That's fucking crazy crazy but that is the norm for a lot of these people that want their cake and they want to eat it too they want to have a career and also have children you know I know a woman who is a fucking huge executive at a major company and this crazy lady has three kids and they're all nuts their fucking kids are nuts. You know why? Because mommy barely exists. Mommy barely, ma mommy exists in their life for 10 minutes a day. That's nuts, man. That's nuts for a three-year-old. And they don't know what mommy is. They don't, they're not around her. You're supposed to be around her hours and hours. It's supposed to be cuddled and nurtured and you play with them and you teach them about life You teach them how to talk and how to count You know and then I have another friend and his wife doesn't work at all and the kid is three It can already count to a thousand it already knows how to spell his name and spell words And because why because the mom's interacting with the kid all day long and this kid is happy and it, I'm seeing the direct 
effect of people nurturing their kid and developing their kid as a project, mentoring their kid. The same way you would mentor someone about how to do martial arts, the same way you would mentor someone about how to write or how to do mathematics. Or you're, you're developing a, a, a thing, a thinking thing, and that's what a human being is. And I can't fathom uh, a parent who would have this human being that is born of them that would not want to engage at that level. You know what I mean? That no, they, would they be like, oh, do. I want to go to work and leave my three children in the care of some <laughs> other person who is not you know who is not responsible for them in 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 the in the absolute way that mm. I would be responsible. I can't even I can't even fathom that that mentality. So I'm not trying to get parents off the hook <laughs> with with this theory. But you also had an example of a perfectly uh uh well adjusted outstanding citizen and, and uh, upright citizen and human being who came from a horrible environment and well, overcame he's, that. Let's not get carried away. He's not an outstanding human being. Okay, he's all right, fucked well. up. He's, okay. he's a fighter. Like, you don't get to up, be a fighter. What I'm saying is this guy won't drink and he won't he won't waste food. Mm. And this is directly because of his horrific his childhood. Yeah, okay. He's not a good guy. He's <laughs> In fact, he's, he's kind of abusive towards his children. Right. And he's got issues of his own. He's not a good guy. But what I'm saying is there's a direct response to this guy living this horrible life as a child to him saying, I am not going to be like that anymore. I'm going to make sure I don't do drugs. I'm going to make sure I don't drink. And this is because he lived in this this horrible environment where he saw the direct effects of someone being an alcoholic. He learned what not to do children. instead of what But he's still, a, he's a shitty parent, you know? I mean, this is, it's a very complex issue. It's a very complex issue, raising children. And it's an issue where people conveniently, intelligent people, conveniently like to skirt the responsibility of what it is to raise their children. And I see it from friends. I see it from friends that work long hours. And it's one of the reasons why I choose to work much fewer hours than I could. I, I want to be around. I'm leaving from here. I'm going to go pick up my kid. And has, when, has I, when I do that, I'm going to hang out with them and I'm, I'm going to play and we're going to have a good time and we're going to talk about stuff. And I think it's a responsibility that a parent has. And I think when, people evolve toward that, not only in terms of becoming a parent and, and your priorities change, but like as as I get older, I can kind of, I, I, can, I can sense that happening. And like, I want to work less. Mm -hmm. I want to enjoy life and have experiences yeah, a little bit yeah. more. I mean, you know? Ambition is great. It's great. I mean, it allows us to become successful to the point where we have less stress. You have a nice home. You have food on the table. You can take care of your needs. But when it gets past a certain point, you know, my friend Brian Callen said it best. He said, you want to be successful enough where you don't worry about what it costs to go out to dinner. He goes, after that, it's all bullshit. And it's, he's right. It, I mean, once, you know, you can have a nice meal and you don't worry about food. You don't worry about having a roof over your head. You don't have, you don't have to live in a, a, a dangerous neighborhood. You can afford to live in an area where you, you know that your family and your loved ones are safe. Other than that, it's all bullshit. Well, you have a bigger house and then a bigger, and now you have a castle. Now you own an island. And Come on, it's all more money, more problems. Biggie said it right. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it, at a certain point in time, it becomes... You, you, you trap yourself with your own ambition and you get yourself into a situation where you realize like, oh, this is not the smart way to do this. I've just been caught up in this this zero sum game, this idea that, you know, there's a there's a certain, you know, like you have to continue to grow. You have to continue to expand like like a corporation. And so we just had, you know, we're coming out. We're coming out to L.A. We make once a year. We make the pilgrimage. Um, you know, we otherwise we work and live in Miami and we're coming out to L.A. And it's like we had a meeting and it's like this is. On the one hand, it's like, this is the most important meeting of our careers. And then I thought about it 
because I like to do this sometimes, just kind of flip something on its head and go 180 degrees and say, what if my belief is the exact, what if the reality is the, is the exact opposite of my belief? So I said, what if this is the least important meeting of our careers? Mm. And it dawned on me, it's like, it's something kind of outside of our, it's, it's in the entertainment industry, but it's kind of outside of our core competency as nonfiction filmmakers. And it certainly would advance us in the industry. But I was just like, if nothing comes of it, or it doesn't go well, this most important meeting of our careers, we go home, we go back to work making our documentaries. I have very little to complain about. You know, I, I don't have to worry about where my next meal is going to come from or where, or if I'm going to have a roof over my head. I still got to work, you know, mm -hmm. I still, but we'll just keep doing what we've always been doing. And we're pretty happy, you know, we're pretty, pretty happy in life. Like, what more do I actually, well, I'd love, I'd love to be able to support my parents a little bit. But like, there's little things like that. Mm -hmm. But like, but beyond that, it's just like, so what happens if this most important meeting doesn't go well? It's like, yeah. life is still pretty good. Like, I don't have that much to to complain about all things, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, so I, I don't know if that's a product of being, and 10 years ago, I would have been like on the, I would have been of like, course. oh shit, this is it, everything's riding on this. If they, you know. And now I'm kind of like, well, but what if it doesn't go well? It's like, What's life experience? shit's still good. You grow, you learn, you just get better at functioning and you get better at coping with stress. And you also have a perspective of a long life. You know, you have this perspective of many years of life on this planet and learning the lessons. I was thinking about that with the, you know, we were talking about the heavyweights getting older and Kimbo being four, what do you say? 41. 41 and, you know, and, uh, and I'm thinking, because we did this doc for ESPN called Broke about professional athletes going broke. And exactly what you just described, which is like the natural or typical trajectory of an American. It's like, you're born, you go to school, you learn a trade, presumably. You graduate and enter the workforce. You enter, obviously, at the, at the entry level. Mm -hmm. You start to work your way up in said industry or pivot to something else or whatever it is. But in the meantime, you get married. Maybe you get divorced. Maybe you get married again. You make some investments, some good, some bad. You buy a house. You have a mortgage. Maybe you have a foreclosure. You get some experience. You start to learn as you grow. And as you grow and, and advance in an industry, you're making more money, hopefully. And then by the time you're, say, in your 50s, you're at the peak of your powers. You are making the most you're going to make. Uh, and then you retire. And that entire structure is completely upside down for a professional athlete. Because mm. they're going to make the most money they're ever going to make in their lives, basically in their 20s. Right. You know, even if you're a... a, a sort of premium, mo you know, the most successful creme de la creme, like, like top 1% of, of professional athletes. Because the other thing that people don't understand in, in, in this in this business is that like and that's sports and entertainment is that like not everybody is a millionaire people don't understand that like not a lot of uh, sport uh, professional athletes are journeymen you know they make decent money or they make league minimum whatever it is but they still have to work you know they can't just retire tomorrow and and be okay and and that's the thing about every when people see that you you know the, you're oh you make movies your shit's on showtime or i see your stuff all the time or I, you know you're very you have a you have a check on twitter it's like you must be you must be a millionaire there's like this incredible misconception that like in in my line of work that like uh we're rich and famous, and we are like neither of of those things, you know. But like, I, I see. I, I you I should be concerned. rich from that fucking documentary from Cocaine Cowboys. If you didn't get rich, somebody fucked the you. The most money I've ever made in the drug industry is selling my urine to my friends because I was the only guy that didn't smoke or didn't do drugs in the drug industry. Yeah, meaning like my friends would like you made like, more than that than you did from Cocaine Cowboys. Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> I never sold my urine. Well, because friends are gonna be like, dude, you 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 know. 
my, my employer is going to start retesting if you uh you know if, if 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 you if you say you sold me some some piss but uh, <laughs> but it's true like I was the kid growing up that never I didn't drink till I was twenty one. Have you ever done coke? No, never. 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 Adderall? A half an Adderall once. Right I before took. the show? No. No? No, it's a good guess, though. Solid. <laughs> I, I, I ate you Jolt Energy up. Gum before the, before the show. Jolt though. Energy Gum? Remember Jolt Cola? Yeah, they, they have, have an energy gum. gum. Oh. Yeah. Don't do that. That's so bad. You're going to have a heart attack. I'm sweating a little bit. Yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs> and plus, you're going to crash. At the end of this, you're going to need a nap. No, no time. I'm in LA, dude. The pulse of this city you is gotta just. You got to keep going. It's, it's, huh? it's, oh, oh yeah, stop, stop. Go 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 go. Stop 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 stop. Go 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 go. Stop stop stop. The stop, pulse stop, of stop. this city. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's Clogged interesting. Arteries. So when you were doing cocaine cowboys, did you ever have any desire to do coke to see what the fuss is all about? No. In fact, when it's interesting, uh, I went to an arts high school, and so. And this is the mid '90s, early early to mid '90s. So you know, drug trends. I find like nostalgia trends are cyclical. Like there's certain perennials. Like pot's always popular. Um, but like in the mid '90s, it was back to like '60s drugs again. People were doing. My friends were doing like psychedelics. They were doing acid, shrooms. Good ecstasy was just ecstasy was like in a similar genre. So MDMA was on the rise then. Uh, High school kids couldn't afford cocaine, but that wasn't as popular as it later became in the in the aughts, you know, in the zeros again. I mean, that that trend was coming around, but like, um, I was just never curious to kind of alter my mind. My my partners and I started our first company when we were sophomores in high school, so I was like working. I was like sort of goal oriented, and then I was like, I, I was raised to believe that like you go to school and then you go to college, you know, you, and you go to college. When, I think it was my junior year when I had, fr- in, in high school, I had friends who were seniors. And for the first time in my life, I learned that not everybody goes to college. That was the first time I knew that. Because I was just raised to believe that that's just the natural course of life. I had friends who were, like I said, we were in arts high school, who were going to go, I'm going to New York and I'm going to be a dancer and I'm going to go to LA and I'm going to do, and I was like, for college? And they're like, no, no, no. I'm gonna get an apartment with some friends. I'm gonna. That was like a foreign concept to me. So I was like the straight arrow kid. I was a kid who finally got the respect that we would sit around in a circle and they'd be passing the joint and they would just pass it like around me. You know, they would know not to even. Were you, you know, in a, a the, room? Yeah, we'd, we'd be like in a garage. We'd be in a backyard. So you got hot boxed. Or, or, but no, usually we were in a backyard. Got, oh. Usually we we're in a backyard. I'm sure I've gotten that secondhand stone. You must have. Before. I, I've seen people get fucked up on weed, but like, like, like have panic attacks oh yeah i've seen it in this room that's (laughs) i I didn't know i thought it was supposed to be like this chill high like this mellow high timothy leary had a great expression about weed uh not about weed rather about lsd that la uh that lsd uh induces states of paranoia and psychosis and people that have never tried it like mm. that, people are terrified yeah. of LSD, and you know, just like I felt that way you, about coke. I mean, like I felt if on. I did coke, you'd have to scrape me off the fucking ceiling with a shovel or like a rake or something, because I would just like, I would just like be crazy. Like this is how I am normally, you know, with some caffeine. I just, I was always, I wasn't afraid. I was always just like, I'm, I'm not gonna have a, a positive reaction to, to this. And I, and I don't know that the prohibition has ever been a deterrent, because obviously drugs are, are quite. Of readily available in 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 Miami, uh, in particular, still uh, believe it or not, the big yeah. coke scene still. I, not as big of a coke scene, but like Molly is, you know, uh, big now. Certainly, weed. The biggest but problem. Molly today, is like the nicest people to be around. Yeah. The difference between people that are on Molly, shit. they want to rub you, they want to come over and hold hands <laughs> with you. They're friendly. They the, want to hug. Well, the, the biggest people concern there is like shut the fuck well, up. The biggest concern there is like what are you actually ingesting? Like who are you buying it from? Right. And what have they cut it with? And, Which is and the problem you... with the illegality. Illegality. Yeah. The prohibition creates yeah. the, the yeah, poison for Absolutely. sure, man. Unregulated. I mean, yeah. all these fucking people that are smoking fake weed, they're smoking this spice stuff and all this. Terrible. 
Oh, it's awful for yeah. you. You don't even know what you're ingesting in your lungs. Your body doesn't know what to do with it. It's alien. You know, the, the cannabinoid receptors are like, what the fuck is this? You know, it's like <laughs> the same argument against artificial sweeteners, but to a much heightened, uh, much more heightened level because the, the way it's interacting with your mind is, it's, you know... I just think, I, again, it, I think it's 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 traces, marijuana prohibition is like traces of this kind of like racism we were talking about earlier, this idea that you can't get past, past it. If you objectively analyze, we're talking about Trayvon Zimmerman, if you just objectively analyze the facts of the situation, there's really only one reality there. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's incredible to me how people, how race gets in the way of blocking their access to that reality. But right. it's the same thing with marijuana prohibition. It's a plant that grows out of the earth that is less dangerous than poison ivy, which is mm -hmm. legal, although I wouldn't smoke it or yeah, recommend it. People have a real hard it, time being objective about issues that are hot button issues, you know, whether it's drugs, whether it's religion, they whether give their it's children, race. They, you have these drug dealers in lab coats mm -hmm. at, the, at the local pharmacy, okay, who are killing children, not them, per, but like these pharmaceutical companies who are creating poison, toxic mm -hmm. chemicals that people, because a doctor writes you a prescription for it, gleefully hand it to their wives their kids their parents like that is a that is a, a mindset that's like ingrained in us as a result of just like a life of of propaganda and 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 just mi mind fucking mm -hmm. i mean it's just it's literally just brainwashing that you could think oh this plant that grows out of the ground you shouldn't roll that and smoke it we do it with cigars we do it with cigarettes but as soon as you start adding crazy shit to it, like nicotine or chemicals, or uh, that's that makes it legal because the FDA is doing. I don't. I just don't it's understand. Tax stamps. It's, yeah, it's, but, I mean, alcohol is are, one of the most devastating drugs. But why are people okay with it? By well, it's large? because it, people are okay with culture. When culture is firmly established and you grow up in that environment, it seems normal to put a fucking plate in your lips and stretch your lips out. It's, it seems normal to put a bone through your nose. Why? Because all the elders, they have the scarification on their face. I'm going to get scarred up too. I mean, that's what everybody does. It's, we we imitate our atmosphere. To, to pay the government 25 cents to make a dime? Like, I, mm -hmm. I, I, there, well, there was, what we were talking about earlier about laws, about cops enforcing laws that are just yeah. essentially revenue-collecting laws. They're not protecting anybody from anything. There was Two kids, barely teenagers. You know, they had the snow day out east. You know, uh, with the blizzard a couple weeks ago. Right. And so instead of sitting around dicking around at home because it wasn't nearly as bad as everyone thought it was going to be, they decided instead of watching TV or playing video games or I don't know, smoking the pot, they said, "Let's grab a couple shovels, go door to door, and make five bucks and offer to to clean people's you know to uh, uh, driveways." And the cops came. Because they got complaints, the kids were knocking on doors or whatever, I guess, uh -huh. and stopped the kids. They didn't have a proper permit they to, said to be, that? Offer Where to was be this? offering their services. I did that all throughout my childhood. Yep. When I was a kid, we would get psyched when it would snow down. Yep. Me and my friends would go around the neighborhood and we'd shovel and we'd make deals. Do they shut down know? lemonade stands now yeah. for not having proper permitting and licenses? That's ridiculous. And that's that's the the, the revenue collecting aspect that we were talking about. They're not about withhold, up, yep. upholding the peace or protecting or serving. New Jersey teens blocked from shoveling snow without permit. C cunts. That's all that is. Jersey. This is, J Jersey is a state where people can't Who even pump the their own gas for crying out loud. The, does it say the cop's name so we could say it on the air? <laughs> it says, Police oh, Chief Michael Giannone told MindJerseyCentral.com the two teens were not arrested or issued a ticket, but were stopped because the town was in a so-called state of emergency in advance of the coming storm. Shut the fuck up, emergency, my, you pussy. MyCentralJersey.com. My, 
it's emergency. That's my homepage. That's <laughs> when you can't shovel snow because it's going to be more snow out. Yeah, good, good call. <laughs> Fucking asshole. But again, listen. Okay, but this is what you're talking about before. These are the rules on the on the books yeah, that exactly. they're enforcing. Yeah, they're not exactly. making up these laws. The cops. They didn't they're have just prop a permit for shoveling. There's a permit for helping people get Boston out of Boston or is that Jersey? What it, what it, whatever it is. <laughs> if you if you shovel someone for free, is that okay? Oh, it's just be exchange of money. You know, that's what it is. You you, you could go around the neighborhood as a good Samaritan, shovel yeah. everybody out, but the cops wouldn't have a problem with that. If you're not giving the government, like I said, if you're not paying exactly. tw the government 25 cents to make a dime, because how much are these kids going to make that they could go out and spend... I don't know, $300 on a permit so that for one day on a snow day when they're not at school, they could go around and make five bucks a driveway. Like, it's I, I insane. I think cops should investigate really hot women that date these old, decrepit old men that are barely alive, and they, they drive around in Rolls Royces and shit. You should be like, ho, 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 ho. Let's sit down. Sit down. Let's talk. What are you, what are you getting out of this? You getting money? He give you that Rolls? I want 25% of that Rolls. <gasps> what? That Rolls is worth $250,000. Pay up, hooker. Why take 25%? They could just use asset forfeiture and take the whole thing. Yeah, that girl's a whore. <laughs> she should give up that money. Give up that fucking car, bitch. You know you don't it's love that old man. It's a prostitution sting. Yeah. Gotta seize it. Like, if you had, seize like, Anna Nicole Smith and her husband. Remember that Rest dude? Rest in peace. Yeah, before he died. Both of them. Yeah, both of them. Yeah, right? She's dead, too. Isn't that crazy? But, like, I mean, that was the, the, one of the more clear examples of public prostitution you're ever going to see. A billionaire, J. Howard Marshall, and uh, a big Playboy Kentucky bunny. fried hooker. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what it was. And you you have one that's profiting off of the other. When you go to the uh, the Seminole Hard Rock in Hollywood, Florida, at the Improv, you, mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't stay in the Anna Nicole suite? There's an Anna Nicole suite? She died there. Oh, that's there's ghosts. Yeah, there's ghosts of fake there was, titties. There, there was a rumor, by the, the way. The, the, the Seminoles would never confirm this, but there was a <sighs> th there was a rumor that they actually sent like a, a witch doctor, or, like oh. something in their to act to like to kind of you know ghost you know depoltergeist or whatever the room, and then they like completely redid the room, changed the number. <laughs> like that, that's the room. No, they would never comment on it or confirm <sighs> that. Well, but, her, uh, she was so dumb. I bet her ghost would be too stupid to haunt anybody. I bet her, her ghost would be like, "Woob, no, boo, woob." <laughs> oh, no. oh, I got fucking. I quit. Her oh, ghost no. would just take naps. Her ghost would just take naps and do pills. Imagine if you just you saw a ghost of like a fat chick eating pills on the couch. Like it's like such a non-threatening ghost. You know? would, especially, especially like on Seminole land, it'd be like she would be like the least scary ghost yeah. in, on, in like an exactly. Indian burial ground. Yeah, I mean, true. think about that. You're talking about Native Americans who are not just persecuted, but they were genocide was committed upon their people, and as a, a compensation, they were given swaths of land Bingo. where they can open up casinos. I mean, it's the, madness. Dude, that's, I always say, I say the Indian casinos are you know, the, the the famous saying is the house always wins. Right. Like the Indian casino is the only casino where. The house never wins because no matter how much money you lose, we still raped their women and stole their country. So yeah. it's like, call it reparations, like sit down at the one armed bandit and lose some money for crying out loud. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's that. But, me, but what's interesting is that, like, now, uh, and this might be, uh, this might go to, to, to your earlier point that uh, it's affluenza. There's, there are like no Native Americans that work at these casinos anymore. Mm. They sit at home, get the check every month mm -hmm. from the, the revenue yeah. and now they're hiring white boys to wrestle al alligators and like do all the like you know the the indian cultural native american rather cultural shit and th there's no 
no Indians in an Indian casino anymore. They're all just kind of living off the fat of the land and getting their checks and not incentivized to motivate or or, or do anything. And you see higher rates of alcoholism, mm-hmm. of drug abuse, and and they're just sitting around, you know, uh, getting checks and 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 a, and a, and a and a lot of them are dying. Well, that's always been an issue on Native American reservations, right? Alcoholism, Alcoholism absolutely. Depression. Drug abuse, yeah. depression. I mean, their culture was stolen. Yeah. I mean, it's like essentially they were wiped out except for a few survivors who were then forced to assimilate in this new, strange culture and then made aware of it painfully every step of the way when you're growing up that you were, you were the loser in this cultural genocide attack. And this, these are the people. Seminoles that, are unconquered. They always remind. Yes, un- they the always say that. Well, the Seminoles actually do a lot of good things. They they use that money in a lot of good ways, and they 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 support a lot of charities. Like that that tribe in Florida is responsible for a lot of good things. And dude, they bought one of the most American brands. The Hard They're, Rock. Like talk yeah. about the ultimate fuck you. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> like we're, we yeah. own the Hard Rock. Like <laughs> I thought that was. I'm like, what a great yeah. what a great thing. I that love was. that club too. But, I work at that club every time I'm down there. I I prefer that club over the the bigger one in West Palm, which I get more money at. I like it's like a more intimate environment. Yeah, it's a fun I, I room. go there and I sacrifice a little money and I have a better time sometimes. My, my girlfriend was doing a project for school a few months ago, and it was about the appropriation of Native American culture and how it's one of the few races where it's still okay. It's the whole Redskins phenomenon, you know, like how it's still okay to be racist and to create kind of like minstrel-esque images of yeah. them. Children dressing the Redskins. up. How like about the, the fucking Redskins? That's like having Why a team called the they... N-word. That's the yeah. equivalent. But people don't look at it that way. I just don't understand how they don't just change the name. It's not a difficult thing. And do it. Look, if you want to honor Native Americans and somehow or another keep like that, you could just change the name. You know, call it, you, you could call it whatever. I mean, there's people that call it the Warriors, like right? the Golden State Warriors. Right. Like there, no one's have, no, I don't think if they do have an issue with that, they're being silly because yeah. that's an honorable. I mean, that's like you, you're 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 being proud of what these people were at their finest or at their most noble and powerful. People still get offended by the mascotry, though. Of you course, know, by, by, you know, and 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 I'm that's a real kind of like like white guilt moment for well, me. There's animal I, rights activists that get offended by any mascots. You right. know, there's a, you're always going to have some people that are ridiculous, but Redskin <laughs> is a little weird, man. It's a, like I didn't really think about it that way, but it's incredibly Cleveland offensive. Indians? Yeah, I saw. Yeah, I saw it earlier. Yeah, that's that's offensive. You fuck. Right. What good, are you doing? Good, good work, that? wild thing. Good work, wild thing. Yeah, I, I just like, but I wasn't. That was something I was completely. I don't want to say I was insensitive to it. I was just kind of unaware of it. Right. And then she starts doing this like pow, this whole PowerPoint on it, and she starts going and getting like racist iconography through through the years, particularly in the South and from you know we're in, in Miami and Florida and like, and I was like. And she was kind of putting them, she was doing side-by-side comparisons to, like, classic, you know, pre-civil rights era racist advertising and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and posters and, and imagery and art. And then contemporary Native American depictions, right. left and right. And I'm like, oh, shit. I was like, yeah, how can we not see that that's a good... Like, that was... That that, that racist, you know, a uh, uh, black... You know, the, 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 the black cartoon face with the great big lips eating a watermelon. Like, right. That was okay once. Mm-hmm. You could advertise your store or your product using that kind of shit. Yeah, and th- then she's got the same exact... Or, or, or reminiscent imagery, but from, like, contemporary uh, ads and cattle. Again, kids dressed up as... As Indians mm-hmm. and with the fate with the war paint and the right. headdress and 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 the kind of and and 
kind of comparing that to modern day uh, 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 a minstrel, and I'm like, that's fascinating. Like I just never thought about it that way. And then white privilege. as a white man, I started to feel all fucking bad about it again. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm the asshole. I never thought about this before, and I'm an asshole for never having kids. But like Redskins is like, I, I, I'm saying it. I'm actually going yeah. like, oh shit, should I be saying the R word? Like I'm actually right, now right, right. in that headspace. Because of white guilt. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's definitely not necessary. You it's know? not. I it's mean, not. look, you could still have the same exact team with the same exact athletes, the same exact pride, and just let's get together and have a contest to come up with a new name. And you would you would get people that would be so happy about that. And the publicity from that contest yeah. alone. And I, I'm I'm sorry, like, but we're gonna keep it out of tradition, and because our fans aren't offended by it, it's like. We had slavery out of tradition for Is a while. Like, like, how do you still have a, a, a fucking thing? a black lady that looks yeah. like a slave on yes. the cover of their? Yes. Jesus fucking Christ! How's that happening? That's that's a thing. Well, is I there think, an Aunt I think she's I think she's the woman who uh, who actually created the the series. Right? There she is. But she's a lovely. Yeah. Well, she looks woman. different now. Yeah. She's not she all dressed like, like, the ma- like the mammy, like the maid. And she like, used to be a mammy though. Oh yeah. Right? Oh, it was like right out of Antebellum South. It was like a Gone with the Wind character. Absolutely. Yeah. And and, and uh, <laughs> yeah, she she's a lovely to, she's a lovely working woman now. Well, she yeah. has regular hair now too. She used yeah. to have that bandana over her hair. Right. Well, she wouldn't get her dirty hair in the white man's food. <laughs> yeah, this is what she used to look like, man. Good lord. Yeah. Aunt oh my god. Aunt Jemima used to look yeah. like a slave. Well, that, that's why that's pancakes. why they updated Wendy. You know, because the, the ginger protest movement was trying to get Wendy of Wendy's. You For know, really? No, I'm just. just oh. God but damn. I, I but, but I'm wondering like the that. redheads, not the redskins, but the redheads. But that's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if, like, are we? At what point is does it be? Are, are we veering into political correctness? I think the redskins thing is too going too far. I really believe that. You mean in a, in a negative way? In yeah, a, in meaning no, like that's I, yeah. I don't think I don't, I don't think we're being overly sensitive. Is what I'm saying. No, I don't think so <laughs> at all. That. I think it's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. I think if you were a, a Native American, it would be a huge issue. Absolutely, it's, it would be very much like you know if you had the fucking you know, San Francisco guineas, you know, and yeah, yeah, the mascot was a fucking Italian guy with a hairy chest and gold chains looking stupid with pasta stains on his shirt. That would be Jersey. That would be San Francisco. Be upset. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm just, there's a lot of guineas in San Francisco, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah. Is there, a is there like a little yeah. Italy? Is there like, what are they Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Italian people in San Francisco. Yeah. San I know Francisco is fucking amazing Italian I, food. God I, damn, I, on Columbus Ave. Best right dim sum of my life. They're very I good had, Chinese food, but yeah. very good Italian food too. San Francisco is really good. There, there's some jamming Italian restaurants we eat at every time we work there. I was complaining about. Have you ever driven in San Francisco? It is Fuck treacherous, you. dude. Yeah. It's fucking treacherous. It's easy. Well, I grew but, up in Boston, son. Oh yeah, I grew up in Miami. You, I grew I, up on black ice. We're at sea level. <laughs> we're at sea level. There's no. You know, the highest elevation in the state is Mount Trashmore. It's a it's a landfill. That is the highest elevation How in the state. How tall is it? And appropriately, uh, when they did that movie Rock of Ages, that was the they put the Hollywood sign on Mount Trashmore. That's where they oh, redid. That's funny. We always say in Florida, the only thing you can't really recreate is like mountains and snow. But but they found a way to do it. I'm, I don't know how high it is, but that's the highest point of elevation in Florida. I it's believe. all Mount, trash. Mount Trashmore. It's a landfill that they're yeah that they're just piling on. But but I grew up. When I went to San Francisco, it was the scariest thing in my. I, what, we were actually doing Cocaine Cowboys too, hustling with the Godmother in in uh, in Oakland in Brookfield Village, 
and I had to I had to drive the equipment truck back and return the equipment at the end of that shoot. So I'm driving in this great big truck with like, I don't know, untold thousands of dollars worth of equipment that I've got to return to this house. And I was just petrified. Why? Because I was like I was like looking straight up. Oh, like, the, the hills. The hills, yeah. dude. Did you ever see Bullet with Steve McQueen? Of course. I watched it again oh, a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago. Uh, I was uh, on a trip in Canada, and I was watching it with a friend who had never seen it before. I was like, dude, you're in for a goddamn treat. This is a real American movie. <laughs> and it's also a movie where there's very little dialogue. It's a great movie, man. Bullet with Steve McQueen's a great movie. The 70s were like the last golden age of American cinema. They were it's definitely when shit got real. different. There's, it's when shit got real. Yeah, they were definitely different. It was a completely different style of making yep. a movie back then. You didn't have to have music in every goddamn scene. You know, you had some real moments. Gritty, too. gritty, gritty, uh-huh. gritty, gritty, and like, and I think they were just coming out of of you know the '60s were that transition where, in terms of censorship, where you could start getting away, you start pushing the envelope in the 60s. By the 70s, there was no envelope anymore in just mainstream cinema. You could right. do practically anything. Yeah. And they did. And so you, you, you had, and that wasn't just in terms of like uh, sex and violence, but in terms of the reality and the grittiness of the stories and the mm-hmm. characters. It be, shit became really, Dirty Harry, like oh, those yeah. early Dirty Harry movies are like brutal. They're yeah. brutal. But they're dumb. You know, yeah. the difference between that well, and like Bullet. <laughs> Bullet is a brilliant movie. Yes. It's like the people that are in it, they're great actors. It feels real. You know, like there's some dirty Harry moments where you're like, go ahead, make my day. I'm like, come on. <laughs> Fuck out of here, you crazy asshole. <laughs> you know, it's like they're fun, but you know, it's a fun movie to watch, but it doesn't give you a feeling like you're actually watching something that could actually be taking place. But it's brutal. Oh, it yeah. is brutal. Oh, yeah, that man. Movie. It is just raw. Death Wish, too. Oh, See the that? first one, yeah. Charles Bronson, man. Yeah, the first one, not the fifth yeah. one so much. But. Well, there's, yeah, those they, they started selling out. His face started getting fatter. He started... Listen, I'm again, I made Cocaine Cowboys 2 Hustle with the Godmother. Why I can't do you complain not about like sequels. that one, man? I made the U part 2. We've not I made don't two sequels. I understand why the no, Cocaine think, Cowboys 2, you know, keep I, apologizing for that. I'm not apologizing okay, for that. Okay, so I mean, Cocaine Cowboys 1, you have no apologies, right? No, I mean, great there's certainly things I do differently. We got to do Cocaine Cowboys Reloaded, which was great. Uh, you know, what great was opportunity. wrong with part two? No, there was nothing wrong with it. Um, Did someone force you to call it Hustling with the Godmother? No. Is that what's I, up? I think it's like, I think what happens is you have a lot of temporary working titles that just stick. Like our first doc, Not we did the, this. There's nothing wrong with it. We, we did this doc called Raw Deal, A Question of Consent. And that was, Raw Deal was just our, our working title. And it was about the alleged rape of a stripper at the Delta Chi Fraternity House at the University of Florida in Gainesville in the spring of 99. And the entire night's events were captured on two video cameras. Whoa. And so we used the video footage and then we interviewed the stripper and we interviewed some of the fraternity men. So the, the thing about the, the footage is that um, it was placed in the public record. I was talking about these very liberal public record laws we have in, in Florida. So it was placed in the public record and it became like the cause celeb in Gainesville. Gainesville is a small town. So there was I used like, to live there. Did you really? Gainesville? Yeah, I lived there when I was a little kid. Between the age of uh, 7 and 11, I lived in Gainesville. Really? Yeah, my You're stepdad a County was resident. going to the University of Florida, so I was down there. I used to go to Lake Alice and feed wow. the crocod- or alligators marshmallows before they made it wow. illegal. Wow, yeah. yeah. Well, they were in the Ocala National Forest. You might be familiar. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were doing a Big Brother Little Brother pledge event. I didn't rush. I'm not. I was wasn't in the Greek world, but good for you. Some ritual where there there's a bonfire. I don't know what the hell. Is they anything do. that needs to be boycotted? Boycott that shit, kids. Dude, enough. Quick, ha, be your own fucking man. Quick flash Jesus forward. Christ. We, we we premiered at Sundance Film Festival and then later went to the Edinburgh Film Festival. It's like the it's like the Sundance of Europe and like so we go to Edinburgh and all the questions. Which is kind of interesting because most of the questions in America were about this this controversy, which I'll get into in a minute. But all, almost all the questions in Edinburgh 
were about what the hell the Greek system is. They don't have it there. So they oh. were completely, this was like a total, That's it was like a Nat Geo doc for them. They were like, mm. what is this Greek, you know, like what is right. fraternities? And I'm like the least qualified person to be at, you know, to, to, to be talking about that. Then when you go to, when you go to the University of Miami, which I did, and I was a Miami guy, like you don't need to, for for the for social interaction, you don't need a club like mm -hmm. you might need to do in Gainesville or Tallahassee or these right. college towns, these insulated college towns where you know the social environment is very kind of restricted. Well, in it's Miami, also it's like who cares? and all the fucking it's creepy, dude. Fuck all that. It's creepy. Man. So they're hazing these kids or whatever this ritual, the big brother little brother pledge ritual out in the forest. They go back to the to the to the fraternity house to the common area and they have two strippers that they hired to come and perform. One of the strippers leaves after the show. One of the strippers goes back to, for a private party with some of the fraternity men. Uh, come the dawn, she goes running to a neighboring fraternity house. Her gra uh, grandmother was actually a house mom of one of the... She thought this was the house that her mother, her grandmother worked at. It wasn't, but she's wearing nothing but a t-shirt that belonged to one of the fraternity men coming up to about her belly button and banging on the door of this neighboring house saying that she had been raped. And she told the university police department that they had videotaped it. And they go and get the videotape footage. And spoiler alert watch one of the two videotapes and arrest the stripper for filing a false police report based Whoa. on the videotape footage. And as a result of that, one of the two videos. One of the two videos. What about the second video? They didn't tape? care. But so, does the second videotape yeah, show an actual rape? The second videotape, as it turns out, was just coverage of it was like A cam, B cam. So the second videotape doesn't show that much more. It just shows alternate angles of the same action oh, okay. rather than but so so what happens is there's now a misdemeanor filing a false police report case against this woman. And as a result, the media says, well, we want to see the, this is evidence in a criminal case. Her lawyer argues that under rape shield laws that her identity should be protected and her uh, and this videotape footage should be protected because it depicts a rape. A judge viewed the footage and says, this ain't no rape. And they release the footage to the public. And there and there becomes there's a backlog at the state attorney's office and the clerk of courts there because there's like a, they're like making copies of the videotape and sending it to people. So in Gainesville, if you were the first wow. person on your block to get the tape what they call the rape tape, you'd have a kegger. People would invite friends over to their house and they, to because you were the first person to get it and everybody wanted to see it. So what happens is like, uh, uh, growing up in Miami, you got friends, of course, who go to Gainesville, go to Tallahassee, you know, go to the, the two major state schools. Of course, only in Florida do our two flagship state schools where they both uh, uh, targets of major serial killers, Ted Bundy in Tallahassee and Danny yeah. Rowling in, in University of Florida, only in Florida. Um, and... So we hear from friends, so I'll never forget this as long as I live. We hear from one of our friends, and we grew up, same neighborhood. I say that, same upbringing, white, middle-class Jewish kids. I say that to say we had similar kind of life experiences and come, come at things with a not dissimilar worldview. So they said, did you hear, this is like summer of 99 by now. And they're like, did you hear about this case with Delta Chi and the stripper and the videotape? I said, yeah, yeah, I read about it. And, and they're like, I just saw the videotape at a friend's house. I was like, well, what happened? And, and my friend's like, he's like, it was disgusting. What they do to this poor woman, like I haven't been able to eat or sleep for days. It's horrible what they put her through, how they talk to her, how they put her down, how they hold her down. She's kicking and trying to get away. And I can't believe they haven't arrested these guys. And it's just, I'm just completely distraught over it. And then days later, I hear from another buddy. Again, we all grew up together. Same story. Same group. He, I said, what? I, I, he said, did you hear about the video? I said, of course. He said, I just heard, from, yeah. He's like, this lying slut. Oh, no. I was, she's screwing around with all these guys, and then she cries rape. They should lock her up and throw away the key. And I'm like, 
what on earth? You have two... Did you see the tape before this? No, not before this. I'd only heard about it from these guys. And I'm like, two reasonable, educated, similar demo guys watch the same footage and diametrically disagree about whether or not they witnessed a consensual or non-consensual oh. sex act. And I'm like, we got to see this footage. And so in a sense, it's analogous to this Trayvon Martin thing in a sort of a way, but you can you, you actually have a but, video. Right, but you have People the video. predisposed or to the have Duke an lacrosse opinion. Case, one, yeah. The Duke lacrosse case, which they never, turns out they never touched the girl. A lot of the guys were alibied. One guy was at an ATM machine making a withdrawal while the woman claims that he was raping her. Yeah. Um, but here you had sexual interaction, unquestionably, right. undeniably. Here was okay. videotape footage of the sexual well, what's, interaction. What's your take on what actually happened? You gotta see the movie. Fuck I hate you. to say. I know. I'm I hate to say that. that. I'm gonna send it to Listen, you. you man, don't have we don't have much time left. You don't have to worry about. It, but you like, gotta just tell me because you have to tell me. Like, what do you think? You have to. What I think is is that you have one of the most oft committed, least reported crimes in like the history of man, and most of these crimes, as they say, are not like the masked man in the bushes. Stranger rape makes up the minority of rape. It's mostly so acquaintance or it date. It's mostly acquaintance or date rape. What I think though is that you have. A world where we expect videotape footage to tell an objective truth to say here's the surveillance video there's the guy robbing the store let's go find him case closed when you have a crime like this that exists predominantly in the minds of the alleged victim and alleged perpetrator it's almost impossible to determine because not all you know what 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 she claims is like this wasn't a a Hollywood rape. This wasn't me kicking and screaming and crying going, no, 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 no. She was a professional stripper. She had been most of her life. Okay. And she comes from a world where we spoke to a rape crisis counselor who, who, who whose office was near strip club, like close to a lot of strip clubs in Florida, and he got, found a lot of professional girls, so to speak, who would come in, and they're always trying to maintain a line. Mm -hmm. You know, this is what, these are, you know, Ever got a lap dance? You're like, here are the rules. I right. can touch you. You can. And then over the course of the thing, depending on how much money you spent, the the lines get blurred. You can. You know, uh -huh. there's certain things. There's certain compromises that right. that are made. And so what happens here is that over the course of a long night, she had danced at like three or four plays. This was like her third or fourth show, last one of the night. She um, she party with the guy. She was drinking. Uh, they were drinking. Um, they might have even been rolling. Uh, there's a lot of the, that line gets seriously blurred. Okay. And at what point can you, you know, at any point if a woman doesn't want, if there was, I, 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 I pull the audience, and this is really interesting too, because I, I would call it the worst date movie of all time. I pull the audience. We always assume that like the women would side with her and the men would side with the men. Very often, it's the exact opposite of that uh -huh. and the men are more inclined to believe her and the women are more inclined to believe the men because they don't want to they don't want to the behavior from both parties is pretty reprehensible depending on your morals and values right. for some people it's a tuesday night mm -hmm. but for others it's like this is appalling i don't want to associate my gender's behavior with that behavior and right. so not to say she deserved it or anything but like people really want to dismiss it's interesting i talked to roy black another the famous d defense attorney one of his most famous clients was william kennedy smith the famous rape trial in, in palm beach at the kennedy compound and uh roy black going in um the kennedys were like well we need kennedy democrats on this jury obviously and the jury consultant came in and said no, what you need is middle-aged or older white Republican women because their values, they're going to look at this. This woman goes out with this man drinking and dining. They go, she goes back to his place at whatever ungodly hour of the night. And what does she expect will happen? That's much more the mentality of not 
Kennedy Democrats, but they wound up going with that jury. Not only did he get acquitted, but Roy Black married the jury, the jury forewoman. Is Leah Black, if you're familiar with the, the Real Housewives of Miami. I'm sure you're, you're an avid. The real, yeah, I know. Um, the Real Housewives of Miami. If you I took, know nothing of if that. You took one, God. If you took one part of each of the Housewives, you might be able to build one real one, I, I think. But like that's, but that's anyway, that, that's, so we, the men and women uh, diametrically like, are sort of opposed. And then you have a situation where I pull the audience and I'll say, how many of you believe she was raped? How many of you believe she wasn't raped? How many of you believe that some sexual activity occurred that she didn't consent to, that she didn't want to happen? Okay. Most people raise their hands. I'm like, well, that under That's the right. law is right. But how do you find a jury of 12 people that, are, that is going to convict based on Herbie? This is what what's our, social were, justice warrior websites. They were ju- they were judging the poll. They were judging her behavior. And I'll tell you something. I read this, in this case. I'm with them. Well, I, I'm I'm reading the police report, which was like a 70-page police report on a misdemeanor filing a false police. This is a police report against her, the case against the woman for filing a false police report, and the woman who wrote it, the detective. Um, I, I thought it revealed more about her than than anybody else. But she there's there's one phrase I'll never forget in all of these pages. She writes, um, uh, the woman uh, went to dance at all of these houses, uh, uh, leaving her two children who are black at home. With a babysitter or with her mother or something like that. And I was like, who are bl-? just those three words? And I was like, Ugh. who can-? she had been married to her ex husband, was a black man. They had two children together. Yeah, and so I was like, what? How in the world? Yeah, well, you lived it? in Alachua County. I don't know if that means something to people there, but I, I was like, how does how how is that have any who are black? Is it her children who are black who are were left at Polish? Home, at, like, yeah, her children who are Russian. Her children who, who are, are like I've Italian. never seen. It. I'm like, yeah. what are we yeah. trying? What are we? What's the implication or what's yeah. the relevance of this in in a, in a criminal proceeding? But the, I will put it to you this way: the people leave. I, over the course of working on the movie, I changed my mind several times over the course of watching the movie. And as you live life and get more life experience, because people come to this movie with their own baggage. Mm-hmm. I've seen, I've had Q&As where women get up to the microphone and say, I've never said this before. I was the victim of a rape on campus and start talking. It, it's a very, it can be a very cathartic experience. It can be a very disturbing. There are people who well, can't very, even watch very it. it's very common. I mean, yeah. but it's also common. False rape claims are also very common. They're not. They're, They're not very, common. False not common. Rape claims happen all the time. They're not common. What do you mean? What do you mean by not common? They're 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 a mi- they're a minority. Of, of rape claims. I'm, I agree with that. Yeah. However, they're, they're still common. Yes, and extraordinarily damaging but, to everybody but, involved. But, but common. No, I don't. I, what do you mean by not common? Well, I, I think rape. What percentage is not common? I think you're, you're, if they happen every day and they do, is that not common? I, I think you're. I, I think you're talking. Yes, it's common, but you're talking about single digits. I think. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about majority. Okay. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they occur false, regularly. They, yes, and they're, okay. which is common, right? Yes. That, okay. They occur regularly, and that yeah. must be taken. If you're going to look at it completely them. objectively, yes, yes, you are. Well, you're. You know, you're being sensitive to the victims, which is very important. But if you look at it objectively. And just as, as strictly as a, a numerical issue, I mean, I, I believe the number is like eight percent. I think that's the statistically proven number uh, as far as like investigated claims of rape. I think it's lower, but it's single digits. You're well, right. It's it, a single, it probably single varies. Digit yeah. Yes, I think it's single. Yeah. Digit. It probably varies. And then there's also the, the the reality that a lot of rapes go unreported because women are ashamed of what happened and they would rather just ignore and it. because they're going to be accused of false yes. reporting and their entire mm-hmm. past and sexual experience is going to be uh, yes. brought to bear. And yeah, there's a lot. And there's also, you also have to take into consideration a lot of false rape claims. The guys get convicted and it's never proven that it's a false rape claim. That's a fact. I've had that happen to a friend. 
I know that it works both ways. Human beings are, we vary. You know, there's people that are full of shit and they're men and there's people that are full of shit that are women. So there's, there's always going to be that possibility that it's a false rape Which gender has the greatest percentage of people full of shit? No, I'm just fucking. I don't think, <laughs> it's across the board. It's probably, it's probably, right. probably 50% across the board. Right. You don't you think? <laughs> I, 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 just, I was just fucking with you. Maybe yeah. men. Because men, well, no, because men try harder to fuck women, so maybe we have to be, because women full are more pursued, we have to be more full of shit. I think that's more possible. I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good d documentary subject. What, what gender is more full of shit? <laughs> it's a great title. Yeah. It's a great title. What gender is more full of shit? That's, a, that's not a bad idea. I, th I think you're right. I think that we're going to find it's pretty... It's pretty close. Yeah, it's pretty close. But, you know, the, the rape thing, as far as like... You know what? I think there's way more rape than there is falsely accused, vic you know, false false rape claims. Yeah, well, I, and 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 in the spirit of, of justice, in the spirit of you know, let let ten mil uh, t let ten guilty men go free, than one innocent man spend you know a moment being deprived of of, of his liberty. I mean, I I, under I understand that, and I gotta say, no matter how low the rate is, two percent according to Wikipedia. Yeah, th no matter how low that is, the two percent of of Men that that the false claims occur to, it's pretty fucking important to them. Mm -hmm. I can imagine. Oh yeah, but man. In, but in those cases, doesn't matter if it's one tenth of one yeah. percent of it's you. And in those, in the vast majority of those cases, I believe it, it has to do with some sort of like you know mental deficiency on the part of the woman. It has to do with uh, some sort of revenge kind of scenario. You know, like yeah. the motive is like really personal and really obvious, mm -hmm. um, and can usually be quickly proven. But as soon as you are accused, something there's some cases where you're right. It can't. It's strictly a he said, she said. Yeah. And you could find yourself uh, in, in a lot of trouble, and that's obviously not okay. I think the problem is you cannot be. We we have a society that I think unfortunately discourages women from reporting, from yeah. coming forward, and I, I think that that's a serious problem because in in crimes like this, a lot of the people who commit them can continue to commit them. Mm -hmm. The rate of recidivism, I think, is is such that. If they're not being reported, you're going to see more victims, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, there's, there's also, uh, without a doubt, there's people that, for whatever reason, they don't look at other people as being equal to them. You know, and that, that is what allows someone to rape someone. That's that what happens in this video. She is a local girl. She goes to Santa Fe Community College as opposed to like, you know, the flagship state school that like the, the quote rich out of town kids, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, go to and they treat her like, you know, the or way they speak to them. her, uh. the way they speak to her. And and it's a similar phenomenon in, in, in the Duke Lacrosse case is that that woman was black. But here this woman who is white in, in this in this raw deal case, uh, but had black children. It's. I think. Well, what's what's the famous line from from Bullworth? Um, uh, white people have more in common with black people than they do with rich people. Mm. Meaning the division is not so much black and white. That's kind of a that's it's, a flashy right. object to divide us and, it's and poor destroy. and affluent. Absolutely, it's the yeah. haves and the have-nots, yeah. and the poor people get treated like shit no matter what color. Well, also they people are. in that position, people that are strippers, you know, because it's looked down upon right. as like a seedy career choice of losers, right. you know, so you're allowed to treat her like shit. And then right. she's in a fraternity, which is not even a protected environment, like an actual strip club. And you're dealing with people that are drunk and their judgments all fucked up because of that. And then, you know, who knows? Plus, 
you're dealing with developing minds and 18 year old kids that are drunk they really shouldn't be drunk yeah. they don't know what the fuck they're doing and on top of that they've probably been raised by assholes you know i mean there's a good percentage of people are assholes and these kids drunk in some fucking thing feeding off of each other gang oh, yeah. mentality which oh, yeah. is a the pure real pressure of that situation gang is, mentality is deadly is fucking terrible deadly man. Yeah. Gang mentality that you see in riots, yeah. you know, gang mentality that you see in behavior that you would never see. Gang You're willing to in alter India. your behavior to the point of criminality mm -hmm. because of the in outside influence Based of like, everybody else doing it. It's yeah. that's like a psychosis. That's a cra like what's going on in the brain. Well, when that's it speaks to our weird uh, the, the way that human beings imitate our atmospheres, which is like a big part of what we were talking about earlier about mm -hmm. culture. You get stuck in certain cultures and cultures where violence is accepted and violence. Mm. Like if you live in the Congo, you know, and you're you're in a tribe and you're you're there's a warlord, you know, and you're you're seeing people shot and killed all the time. The, Life has the no AK value. When yeah. You're five. yeah, I mean, it's just that's that's their environment. What about, I, I have to ask you this then because I mean, you've talked about it a zillion times, but like America's gun culture, that's what everybody says. America's propensity towards violence and mm -hmm. proliferation of violence. And you don't see this in other countries because you don't see the quantity of, of guns. guns. Yeah. Well, it's an issue. Yeah. Um, and the but, celebration of violence, of course, in our media and our art sure. and entertainment, et cetera. That's yeah. an issue, too. The celebration in video games, celebration in... Uh, all those things are unquestionably influences. However, if you look at the, the, the actual numbers of people that have guns, which is fucking staggering, and the actual crimes committed by those guns... It's very small. Low, yeah, which absolutely. Is, which is undeniable. And yeah. that's something that people don't like to bring up when they bring up a Newtown massacre or something. Where you have massacres, I believe those are issues of mental health, without a doubt. And I think absolutely. That, you know, I wrote that this country has a mental health problem disguised as a gun problem and a tyranny problem disguised as a security problem. And I think that that's there's a real reality when it comes to guns and shooters and mental issues and also the number of people that are involved in mass shootings that are on psychoactive drugs. Anti-psychotics, anti-depression. They're taking poison is what they're Who doing. knows? But correlation does not equal causation, right? So you don't know if those people are crazy already and they're giving them drugs to try to treat them and maybe they would be better off. Maybe it's getting off those drugs, which is often the case. The 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 um um coming down off those drugs. Yeah, the withdrawal effects. The, the withdrawal yeah. that causes these people to go crazy. There's a lot of issues, but you can't deny that it's too fucking easy to get a gun. You know, you need a driver's license to get a fucking car. All you need to do is not be a criminal to get a gun. I mean, I, I bought a gun before I knew anything about guns. I didn't know how to use them at all. They just let me have a fucking pistol. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking, You need thinking, a permit like, to have a hot dog yeah, stand for exactly. crying <laughs> You have to have a permit to shovel snow. snow in Jersey. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a nice person, so I'm not going to go out and shoot people, but I found it incredibly disturbing that they didn't... All they needed to know that I didn't wasn't a criminal, I didn't commit any violent crimes, Crimes, and that's it. That's all they needed to know. And truth be told, if you were a criminal and went on the street to get it, it would be even easier yeah. than you walked into it. Because they don't want your driver's license if you're buying right. it on well, the street. Especially <laughs> in, in this country at this point, the numbers, there's the sheer numbers. Like I've heard it described like trying to get guns out of America is like trying to take salt out of the ocean. Mm. It's like, Jesus Christ, like you're going to get all the salt out of the ocean? There's more Americans with, or there's more guns rather than there are Americans in, in, in America. There's more guns than there are people. That's fucking crazy. There's more than 350 million guns in this country. That is hard to wrap your head around.
You know, I, I but well, I got two hands. But this the we all got people. Two, most of us have two. Well, hands, I have more yeah. guns than I have people, <laughs> so I'm part of the problem. But I'm not shooting anybody. You're above average. Yeah. I, only, I only have a I only have a couple. So I just don't think that um, that that I, I don't think that the issue is necessarily that there's a lot of guns. The issue, the issue to me is we, we most certainly need a better education program when it comes to the ability to acquire a gun. The, the, the fact that you have to go through this you know, difficult taxing process to get a car. But I think people are f afraid that like, you know, like they say that owning a car is a privilege, owning a gun is a right. It's a right that's in the bill. You know what I mean? That's all, it's in the yeah. Bill of Rights. It's the Second Amendment of the Constitution. It says right to bear arms. And there's, there's people that are legitimately worried for good reason that a lot of people have this knee-jerk reaction when any sort of violent crime goes down to take all the guns away from the people. But I don't think that, I don't know, maybe having to take a shooting course is an impediment to no. your exercising of that it's right. Gun I safety. Think, my, my family, I've got family in Delaware. And they grew up in gun culture, in a mm -hmm. hunting culture, and and they're some of the most responsible, coolest, best. But you know, they, they because it guns have been completely demystified mm -hmm. for, uh, for them. They're not afraid. They know how to properly uh, use them, and they're the least threatening, most coolest, most unassuming people that you can possibly. But they're cool with any type of weapon that you that you know basically that you put in front. Not just uh, guns, but knives that they use for hunting and everything. And I was just like, what if we all grew up, like, wouldn't it just be, I think we'd all be nicer to each other, too. Yeah. Like, we'd all be aware of sort of the power that we possess mm -hmm. from the, you know, we're not just these sort of, like, TV gangsters or whatever. We'd right. all, you know, we, we'd all just, we'd all be a little bit more cognizant of the fact that we have this, we, if we choose to have the power of life and death over somebody, but they also have it over us. Well, that's so that, let's live and let live, right? That expression that a well-armed society is a polite society. <laughs> and, and oftentimes that is true, but the aberration, the person who is not polite and decides to take out the fact that they have, do you, do you remember that instance in North Hollywood years back when those guys got, they put on bulletproof vests and had all these crazy guns and they robbed the a bank, bank robbery, and, yeah. yeah. That heat was inspired by Fucking it. Fucking right? yeah. crazy, crazy scene. I was doing news radio at the time and we all went into the break room and we we're all watching it on this television and we were all just like freaking the fuck out. Like this is real. This isn't a movie. We're watching a shootout between the cops and these insane people with massive firepower. And that those types of scenarios, although incredibly rare, are really legitimately frightening to people for a good reason. That's what happened in, in, in Miami. You remember the war wagon at the Dadeland Mall shooting in the July of 79 that we opened Cocaine Cowboys with. Ah, yeah. Cops show up at this scene. They have guns on the ground. Uh, Edna Buchanan, the, re uh, the reporter, said they called them the, Dis the Dixie Cup generation. They would shoot a gun until it was empty and then just drop it on the floor and pull out another gun and shoot that. And there were Mac 11s and there were uh, handguns and pistols and automatic uh, pistols. And they were just and they and there was shell casings for every single gun on the ground. They left the guns on the ground and then they took off on foot and they abandoned this war wagon, which was this converted Ford Econoline van that had stenciled on the side, happy time party supply, and a phone number. And then the other side, it said, happy supply time, and a different phone number on the other side. Not really good with the, you know, the, the incognito thing here. And in the back, they had flak jackets that they had put, that they had kind of like wallpapered it with so that it would be, they'd like have reinforced bulletproof armor and more guns of every, shotguns and machine guns. So it was and like the Punisher's war the, wagon. The cops show up with their six shooters. 
by the way, because that's what they were carrying in Miami in 1979, and they flipped the fuck out. And there was a, every time someone saw a 40 Econoline van, like, on the streets, people were calling 911, the cops wouldn't show, like, they didn't know what the hell to do, because they knew that the fear was, you're going to pull one of these over, Right. The back's going to open up, and they're just going to empty, empty on you. Cannons and you, and before you can even grab your pop, pop, pop gun, you know, and, and that was when they started to, to, to put together the Sentac 26. The four, there you go. There's the back of it right there. Yeah. And, and um, they put together this, uh, Sentac was a central, central tactical unit that was made up of multiple local and, and, and federal agencies that would work together. The, uh, it, this history of which traces back to the untouchables, because that was like, we're going to combine, you know, take the best of the local guys and the best of the federal guys and put them together towards a kind of common, very specific goal oriented mission and end. And so you had these guys who got together because originally they were called the, uh, it's in reloaded, um, uh, the special homicide investigative team or as they call themselves, the shit squad. Special <laughs> homicide investigative team. And they had to deal with all the wandos that were right. turning up. Because they'd, they'd get an, oh, got, uh, unidentified Hispanic male, automatic bullet fire. Is it 25% of the bodies in the morgue in that time in Miami had automatic wounds from automatic weapons. I had a friend who was uh, doing his residency. He's a doctor, and he did oh. his residency in Miami. Dude, that was the best place to do it. Oh, my God. He told me some shit and showed Dude, me some shit when we were growing up. You know, I was uh, he's older than me, and uh, he, when he was uh, showing us these images that he had saved from like, guys with light bulbs up their asses and... <laughs> Well, if you were in the trauma industry, the medical business, the law enforcement business, the homicide business, the journalism business, like Miami was the place to be. Oh, it was crazy. I mean, the, the, the one I know a guy who was a, who was a uh, trauma doctor at Jackson Memorial Hospital in the in the that's our that's our one you know, major trauma center where, you know, all the bullet you, you get airlifted to Jackson. That's where you go. So he was working one night and this was after the Mariel boat lift. Think Scarface like you had all of these hardened criminals the, 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 ejected the, from Cuba. The rate of right. rape on Miami Beach quadrupled Ugh. in months. I mean, they were raping little old Jewish ladies, Holocaust survivors Ugh. who made it out of Germany but could not survive the Mariel boat lift in Miami. Ugh. And they all went to Miami Beach because it was a slum and because you had the it reminded them of Havana it looked like Cuba Miami Beach like ocean like the seawall and everything it looks like yeah. Cuba so um and and they would just kill you for nothing they'd be like I like your bicycle give me your bicycle no boom and just and like for no, and then leave the bike to like it like just crazy homicidal lunatics um and uh they uh one guy one day a, a Mariel a Marielito comes in with a gunshot wound and the doctor says to him he knew Spanish. He said, "He said you're a very lucky man. Had the bullet struck you a centimeter or so over here, you would have bled out and died on the scene in in minutes, if not seconds." Um, the guy gets discharged, leaves the hospital uh, within days. He gets another Mariel gunshot victim with a wound in exactly the same spot he told the other guy about, and that guy died. And his belief always was he never could prove it, but that the guy he had told basically where to shoot the other guy that this was a retribution shooting for the other guy who had been shot but like uh. that was just par for the course in, in miami the girl who cuts my hair a uh, lady who cuts my hair she you know how you you, you get your hair cut you, you you say goodbye you put the tip in the in the pocket so she go, would go home at night in the 80s and she'd turn her pockets inside out to get all of the folded bills and this and that and one day she found finds a little baggie with white powder in it that one of the ladies just say kissed her goodbye and slipped it in her pocket as, some coke as a there. tip. And and she she <laughs> she said I was so naive. I said to my friend, "What the hell is this?" And she said, "What it is is worth more than the tip <laughs> that you would have that you would have gotten uh, from the same ladies." <laughs> wow, that's ridiculous. That was that's uh, that's our Emmy.
That's our Emmy. Keep it. <laughs> you can keep that place. And you can I visit. Keep, you're Los Angeles. You're, you're Los Angeles. You yeah. can have it. I visit and I get the fuck out as soon as I can. <laughs> Billy, thank you very much, man. This is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Anytime. And thank the, you. The documentary Dogfighting D A W G comes out. Com, coming March 12th. March 12th and Cocaine Cowboys one and two. Don't listen to him. Two is good. It's very good. Don't it's apologize now streaming, for that anymore. Now streaming on it's Netflix. Excellent. It's one, they're, they're one of the best documentaries ever that captures the madness of, of, of cocaine, really. I mean, and, and, and violence and the, the drug war. I mean, it's just an amazing documentary. Thank you very much. Billy Corbin, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next week. Good night, everybody. Much love.